Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Pop Culture Historians. You've caught us kind of near the end of our classic Doctor Who season four coverage. Uh, it's our watch rewatch. Boy, the season went fast. We'll talk about that in a second. It did go fast, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I, have, I have my theories about this. I've been thinking about it. But uh, mm. let me set up who's talking. Uh, my name is Ryan Ritter. I'm the watch, part of the watch slash rewatch. I'm a Doctor Who novice, although uh, I feel like I'm close to being able to say I'm like an intermediary uh, soon. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll debate whether um, my, my title <laughs> can change here sometime soon. Uh, I've, my Doctor Who knowledge is uh, contained only to the serial that we're watching uh, this current week, plus everything that came before it, but nothing further. On the line, you've heard him a couple of times already. That's Jimmy McShane. He's the rewatch. He is... Uh, the, the, I, I consider him the premier Doctor Who expert on the planet, if that's not too hyperbolic <laughs> to say. Uh, and he's okay. Seen, yeah, okay, perfect, perfect. And he's seen all this uh, at least once before, probably a couple times before on uh, some of these. Uh, Jimmy, how you doing? I'm doing, well, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Not bad at all. Boy, we have a big one to talk about. Um, we, have, we have almost no time to spare. Uh, so, of course, I took two minutes to even introduce our names. That's very typical. Uh, we have a six-part serial here, The Faceless Ones. The pilot said what? The police box on the runway. I like this story. Uh, we got some missing episodes to talk about, some animations to talk about. We have, some, we have another cast transaction to talk about. I don't even know where to start. Well, I'll start with, uh, I'll just, I'll set the baseline here a little bit. It was a six-part serial, aired between April 8th and May 13th, 1967, although it's revealed to be taking place in July 1966, which I think is, some, I think is information they say for the end. I don't remember yes. if they established that. They, 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 they say that for the end. Now, if you look at some of the newspapers in the animated versions, the newspapers kind of hint at it taking place around the same time as the war machines, but... Um, That's true. I don't know if those were in the actual actual um, episode itself or not. Right, yeah. I, I did clock that uh, little war machine thing, but I just took it as an Easter egg. I didn't really think about the fact that, like, oh, that sets it during a uh, very specific time. And something it's I will say, yeah. Yeah, well, there are, something I will say, they do put Easter eggs. Like, there's even Easter eggs in there for, like, future things you haven't seen yet. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, so that might be just being an animator being cheeky. It is. There's a lot of the animators being cheeky. Um, but in this case, they did have some actual consequences for the episode. But go on. Yeah, so I, I guess what we're, uh, we're kind of dancing around, I, maybe we'll just start there because that's kind of what we do when these kind of episodes pop up. We have another companion departure, a pair of companion departures, and also sort of like a weird pseudo-companion. We'll talk about her in a second because uh, <laughs> I want to I get some insight into this. You already know what yeah. I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about, yeah. Uh, ben and Polly, um, they are no more. I mean, they're alive, but they're no more on the show. And uh, what? I guess for me, I was going to ask, like, when you watched this for the first time, did you know about it? And the answer is probably, right? Or I don't you? remember. I, I tried to keep myself in the dark when it came to the companions. I don't remember if I knew that or not when I watched this. Well, of course, first time I experienced this, it had not been animated yet. So it was That's all, right. it was all reconstruction. Um, I think I listened, I listened to the audio of it. Ooh, and I think Fraser Hines did the audio of it, if I'm not mistaken. Um, 
it, it's funny and, too because it yeah. feels like a it feels like a, a there's a couple episodes to the the animated ones that are uh, you know otherwise missing. I feel like this one might have translated better to audio than a lot of other missing serials we've had thus far. I don't yeah, know. If that I, I can, yeah, that. I can see that. Um, you know, uh, there's not as much movement in this one. So I, I, I think that's fair. It's a lot of people talking things out yeah. and uh, kind of explaining where they are and stuff. And there's not a, there's not a lot of like goofy um, like aliens and stuff running around. I, there's just so much to talk about. I know the start off has been in Polly um, and we'll get back to that. As, it surprised me how much of this was like human based and like set. I don't think I anticipated this being set almost exclusively at Gatwick airport. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's some spaceship stuff, but like, mm-hmm. that's like in the last couple episodes. <laughs> I agree. It, um, I think putting in the airport was a really good idea. I think it grounded it. It made it kind of an interesting, unusual setting for the show. Um, and it, it does what Doctor Who does perfectly, which is take something normal and make it weird. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and so I think that that's a great thing about this. And of course, the whole body snatchers thing, the very Cold War era style sci-fi plot. Um, Mm-hmm. But yeah, and so Ben and Polly. Uh, weird situation with Ben and Polly. So initially, this was supposed to be four episodes, right? And but Ben and Polly's contract extended to like the middle of the next serial, and so they decided to extend this one by two episodes. But then they were kind of like, "Well, what's the point of having just them being in two episodes in the next one? Let's just write them out of this one." I'm not certain. I'm still not entirely sure why they got written out really in the second episode, other than they wanted to try to give, you know, write him a, a new companion for that part. Um, so the, the yeah. whole thing with Ben Polly, because they still get paid to the second episode of our next serial, The Evil of the Daleks, even though they're not in it. And they it's aren't even in, in, like, most of this one. No, they're barely in it. Yeah, th- yeah, after episode two, they are gone until like the button for episode six. Like, right. basically. which was which was a pre-recorded sequence as well. That doesn't surprise me. And so, like, yeah, they were the actors, Michael Craze and Anka Will. Uh, they were done episode two of the serial. Um, and I found that I, I found the whole thing strange. The reason why they got written out is just, and as Lloyd felt like they weren't working. And I feel like we kind of. We've kind of talked about that, why they're not working. I mean, even in this, like last, last week, the Mocker Terror, like, oh, they found a way to make them all work by making Ben hypnotized. And they kind of pull that trick again with the two episodes where Ben and Polly exist in this one, yep. with, with Polly being, being by Smash. So I can kind of see where they're coming from, where uh, maybe you think they're not working. Mostly they wanted to write out Ben. They offered Uncle Willis an opportunity to stay, and she declined. She kind of felt yes. now would be a good time to, to try to explore other things. And so that's, you know, that's why they, they got written out. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I, I, I sort of feel for Ben and Paul, and I guess we can kind of do like a post-mortem now since we're on the yeah, topic. Well. Yeah. Because they just... 
they are good characters. I never had a problem with them. Like I had, actually, there has there's been barely any companions I straight up like disliked. I thought Dodo was like a massive missed opportunity. Katarina was like really like a missed opportunity. But like, there are versions of those characters that maybe could have worked. They just it wasn't meant to be. But they, well, I don't know. Maybe maybe Dodo was kind of actively annoying sometimes. But <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't like the act. It wasn't Jackie Lane's fault. You know what I mean? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. And it was. It was. I think you're right. Dodo is a missed opportunity. Like I understood the like the idea behind it. They just never settled down. Right. And I hear here I feel like it's almost like the opposite. Like they had like a pretty clear idea for Ben and Polly, like the modern young people, which I think is a good place to start for a companion. And um but they just got caught up in like maybe one of the most transitory periods of the show's history up to this point. So like they've they had to kind of bridge the gap between both doctors. And then they got like this other companion that got added at the last second. And um I might be I might be speaking incorrectly here, but it seems like Jamie just kind of became pretty popular pretty quickly. And so, like, what do you do? <laughs> you write out the other two characters is what you do. Yeah. yeah, so it's like not their it's like not their fault. It's just kind of how it goes sometimes. Uh, I do hope that there is some stability coming. Um, I will point out uh, the entire cast has changed from episode one of the season to now, uh, which has not happened up to this point. So, you know, we thought season three was really transitory. Um, this is quite literally like a complete purging of what the show was. So, but, you know, that's how it goes sometimes. Yeah. Uh, especially with the show. But something I will say is behind this camera, uh, it's been consistent. And that's why I even think with how maybe hectic some things were in this season behind the scenes, the on-screen product, in my opinion, has been better thus far than in season three. I would agree. And I'm already thinking ahead to like end of the end of the season kind of superlatives and stuff. There hasn't been a whole lot of like true lows. Like season three had some like real like losers of serials. And this we'll see how um the next one does to kind of round out the season. But so far there hasn't been anything that's been like a straight up dud. I know some people don't like the underwater menace, but I would even take that over like Celestial Toymaker, I think. I I would too. So we'll see. And um yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned Annika Wills uh kind of being offered to like stay on and her declining it. It's interesting because I think she moved on to like another show uh, a couple years after this. Strange report that she also seemed to have like a really good time on. They were clearly in search for like another companion, even as this was going, which brings me to a character we get introduced to in this uh, serial, Samantha Briggs, who I thought for sure they were introducing as another companion. And then she just, she just wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So that was the intention. Like when they were told to write this, they're like, okay, we're going to write out Ben and Polly write in a, a new companion. And they offered her the role and she declined. Uh, but, but instead of like, you know, trying to like force it or something like that, they just let her go, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, and I think it's because she just didn't want to be tied down in a single show at, the, at, that, at that moment in her life. Well, you know, and we'll get into this with the, uh... Uh, in the cast notes and stuff, but 
Yeah, she turned out okay. Uh, Twenty yeah. years she does end up getting nominated for an Academy Award, so you know her, her career ended up just fine. Yeah. But it's a shame because her and Fraser Hines had like some really good chemistry together, and uh, you know I was excited. To, I was like, oh wow, they've never successfully integrated a companion like this easily before. And then of course, we didn't. <laughs> and, of course they didn't. Yeah. But she's almost like a driving force of this. Like there's a lot of her going like, if you're all going to sit around, I'm going to go in and like look myself. Like like she's like a main character. Like she's almost past the guest star uh, in many episodes. Well, she. She was supposed to be a uh, a companion. She just actors chose not to, and I think that's okay. You know, it's kind of I think it's kind of cool to have characters like that in stories where they're like basically a companion, but just for the serial. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah, so Ben and Polly no more. Just uh... do you want? We can talk more about like Michael Craze and Annika Wills if you want. It's kind of like what they went on to do. Yeah. Uh... Um. Yeah, do you have any insight on that? So Michael Craze was basically in a bunch of like, he did some movies in the 70s. Um, I guess he's mostly known. I'm not familiar with this person. Do you know who Norman Warren is? I do not. I guess he's known. He's a film director known for some horror movies like Satan's Slave and Terror. Michael Craze is in both of those. Right on. Um, He also opened up the pub. And, you know, he didn't act a whole bunch after this, but he did do some stuff. Um, you know, some television roles and stuff like that. Uh, but he, he mostly, you know, managed a pub and went to Doctor Who conventions. He passed away in 1998 due to a heart attack. Yeah, um, but apparently, I'm sorry, 1998 due to a heart attack. But apparently the Doctor Who theme music accompanied his funeral, uh, his coffin at the funeral. So he was, you know, he was definitely, I did read an interview with him. He, he said Doctor Who was the highlight of his career. So he was, he was very happy with his time on the show. And, um, you know, it's too bad he wasn't able to live to see his, his work get uh, reanimated and, and stuff like that. Well, that's right. And he, he, he died before like, the Revival Series and like the second. He died before the Revival Series. He died before like even the Big Finish company started doing the audio plays. Oh. Uh, which could have incorporated his character. That's too bad. Yes, it is. It is. Uh, Annika Wills, um, on the other hand, she married Michael Go, by the way, Michael Gow. Yeah, I don't remember if we brought that up uh, when she first showed up, but yeah, isn't that crazy? It's kind of bringing together like the two, the two sides of our uh, podcast. Of course, we've covered um, his Alfred in a. Uh, Three Batman movies already on the uh, super right. side of things, and also his work in Celestial Playmaker. Yes, um, I, it didn't seem like it was the happiest of marriages. They they divorced. She she gave up acting in 1970, and uh, you know started to become a mother and and take care of the the property and, and gardening and stuff like that. Uh, they divorced in the late 70s. Um, it's too bad. But she, yeah, but she, you know, she she got back in acting. Not really. Uh, so mostly she's been. I know she's been writing. She obviously she does a lot of Doctor Who stuff still. Like she'll do like the big finish audio dramas and and other things. And she, I know she narrated some of the um, 
some of the ones I listened to, like the Underwater Menace, I listened to was narrated by Annika Wills. So she's still doing stuff. That's really cool. Um, yeah. it, interesting how um, it might be something to track for something, but how many people kind of end up back in like the ecosystem of like the fan conventions? And I know that like sometimes being part of like the convention circuit has its pros and cons, but I. Uh, but her especially, like, I think, like, the interview that we saw, she might have been, because she was mentioning, like, a, uh, like, a panel, uh, maybe it was Tom Baker or someone, I don't remember who it was, because, like, it seemed like they were, they got, they got her interview, like, while she was at, like, the convention, and she seemed pretty yeah. pleased, you know, sometimes it's easy to kind of get bitter on those kinds of things, but she seemed really happy to be, like, part of this thing, and that's always really cool. It is. Yeah, the interview you're talking about was with Luce Cannon, uh, you can uh, find it on and we can link it or something, uh, find on Daily Motion. But yeah, she she seems very grateful to to have been part of Doctor Who. Um, that, you know, that might be something that kind of comes with um, some age behind you. So I think one of the harder things about like a performing arts career is uh, it's probably the same kind of stuff you have with a professional sports career. I think everyone kind of looks to be like a star but most people don't get to be those things. And I think that maybe those things can be frustrating in your 20s, 30s, even 40s. But when you hit like your 50s, you start realizing just by being on like a year of Doctor Who puts me in a, puts me in a, in a, in a club that not a lot of people get to be part of. And like even having one of those credits is pretty incredible. And um, she seems to have like a really good perspective on it. She does. And it's crazy because you're right. She's only on it for a year. And most of what she did is missing. Isn't that kind of, yeah. kind of crazy? I'm used to like her being animated more than like I, you don't get that much of her. But I thought that she seemed like a really warm performer. I mean, Michael Craig was also very good, but like her especially seemed like a really warm, kind of a fun performer. And uh, they'll both be missed, but um, it's a shame that she didn't, it's a shame that she didn't like re up. Um, I understand why she wanted to move on and stuff, but. And yeah. it's kind of weird because I think on one hand, you're like, yeah, a Polly and Jamie companion team would have been would have been a good companion team. I, I would have liked to see it, but at the same time, I know it's I know it's coming. Uh, you know, I hope this isn't a spoiler. There is eventually another female companion that goes with them. That doesn't um, surprise me. I mean, they yeah. immediately tried to like get like another female like while their story was going. It doesn't surprise me that that's that's coming. <laughs> I won't say I won't say when or. You know, if, if it's in the next one or what, but uh, it does eventually happen. And so, at the same time, you know, I I know what that is in my head, and I, I wouldn't personally want to change that either. So it's kind of a weird kind of catch twenty two, I guess. Yeah, you never know. It's kind of like those uh, like those those kind of casting what ifs, like Will Smith mm -hmm. up to like the mate the lead in the Matrix, and like he didn't get it with the Keanu, and everyone's like, oh, can you imagine like how that would have been? Will Smith as Neo. There's an alternate universe where he does get it, and then like the joke is like Keanu almost got it, like that act, <laughs> like you know, yeah, like everyone's sure. like the Will Smith version. So you just never know. So there's that. Why don't we talk about the uh, serial itself? This the, the six part story. Um, this is your at least second time uh, watching it. Uh, how did it strike you this time around? I personally like it. I really like it. Um, I think. For a six-part story, it doesn't drag like some of them. Some I would argue are better. I think drag more than this one. 
I, I like the setting. I think um, I, I think all, a lot of the you know single serial characters are really good in this one, and um, I like I even like how the doctor eventually wins uh, mm-hmm. wins the day. How, how do you feel about it, Ryan? I really like it too. Uh, for a lot of the same reasons you mentioned, uh, I think there's some things that if you were to describe it would seem to work against it. It is six parts. In fact, it's a four-part serial that got extended to six parts. Well, something I should mention, the four-part serial was very early in its infancy and had a different plot. It was going to take place in like a department store. Oh, fair enough. So, well, that could have been fun too. Yeah. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind. Like it was really four, got changed to six, and then also had been poly. But that's just kind of to mention how like, messy like the the draft must have been like leading up to this you know oh sure sure absolutely and it also contains like a a companion uh departure that is a little unceremonious although i do think it Mm -hmm. provides like a nice character moment for the doctor and a nice point of comparison from the second and the first but we'll get there when we get to the although i i might argue that the unceremoniousness of that character partner is the biggest thing working against this we're going that, that, and that's totally fair. And like, they're like not even in it. As we mentioned, they're gone after episode two. There's like two thirds of this. Like you forget, you kind of forget Ben and Polly even existed. It's like, so when they kind of come to the moment of departure, you're like, well, hold on. But I, I agree. I don't think it ever really drags. I think when you look at it like plot point by plot point, there's some stuff where it's like, if I had to cut this to four, um, you probably could do it with a little bit of thinking. But it never feels like it's actively dragging. I think they do a good job of loading it up with interesting characters, I think, take up some time. I mean, in a good way. Like, again, Samantha's great. There's a couple, like, I think the villains are really interesting. They're not, like, they're not stupid, but, like, they're also, like, kind of emotionally driven, which kind of, thing kind of gives the Doctor some stuff to play with when it gets down to, like, the fifth and sixth episodes. Yeah, no, it's really good. I think the airport is a fun setting. Uh, it is. I wouldn't have thought to do that here. And I think putting them in modern settings is really exciting. I think it's probably an easy thing to do. And I'm glad they don't do it all the time. But I think, you know, War Machines is kind of interesting for the same reason. Mm-hmm. Um, putting them in a modern setting, modern, quote unquote, I don't know, once a year would not be a good move. I don't know if it continues, but if they're not going to do historicals anymore, I think it's a nice way to kind of break up the uh, space adventures. For sure. And yeah, this is definitely the first time we've had like aliens in a modern setting, even the war machines. And that wasn't a modern setting, but it was a um, more of a sci-fi robot created by humans. This is the first time we've had like extraterrestrials in a modern setting. Right. No, that's absolutely true. But something, something that they might want to play with more. Don't know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, you'll you'll have to find out. Um, something I was curious about: at what point were you like, okay, Ben and Polly is gone? Uh, it started. I started thinking about it honestly when um, uh, Samantha started um, kind of becoming like a major driver of the action, because it felt to me like they were grooming her to become a companion, and I was like, well, they're not going to have four. And we haven't really seen her much, and then he kind of put together like, well, they're kind of back. If they were to leave here, it would make sense. Like, just, it would kind of like close the loop a little bit. But I wasn't really sure until the end. And to be honest, like, 
as things really get going, you kind of forget Ben and Polly are even there, which is sort of maybe, yeah, I agree. That's probably like the one sin of this. Yeah, it's not really a, the companions leave in the story, but it's not a companion exit story, which is unfortunate. It is unfortunate. Um, but, you know, I, I'd also mention like their exit kind of makes sense of like, well, we're, we're, we're here on the day we left. Let's just, let's just be home. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, Michael. Michael Craig hated the his, his uh, Ben's departure. He's not Ben should have been killed. Oh, which, interesting. Which is like, wow. That's I'm not sure I agree with that part of it. Um, but no, I think there haven't been that many like unhappy endings for any of the uh, companions. Katarina's like the only one, really. I like yeah. it best that way. I don't know. <laughs> I agree, and I also think you should like space out the unhappy endings if you're gonna have them. You know, right. Something, something, here's something I will say. I think they're, how they got written out is fine. It's like, hey, we're in modern day. This is what we've been trying to get to this whole time. Like, we've had a good time with you, doctor, but like, we don't know when we're going to be back here again. Let's stay. I think, I think my problem is the fact that you forget they're in it. Like, this hero should have had, like, given Ben and Polly the big hero moment, you know? Totally. Uh, if this is going to be their last one, let them go out with a bang. And they definitely went out with a whimper. Yeah, definitely agreed. And so you can make the argument this is probably, dramatically speaking, this is probably the weakest uh, companion departure we've had thus far. Well, I mean, I'll say Dodo is weaker, but. Yeah, Dodo Dodo's is pretty bad. Uh, only because she, she leaves off screen. Yeah, she leaves off screen. Like, and like she, she gets hypnotized and then goes to like a country house to recover and then we never see her again. Um, well, hey, her and Ben and Polly can hang out now. They're all yeah. That's true. That's true. I'm sure that actually does have happened in like um, extended universe. Extended universe. I've never read a story like that, but I'm sure it's out there. It's an easy one to make. Yeah. Um, they visit her in the country and stuff. Yeah, you know. And they stumble onto aliens or something. Yeah. Exactly. It writes itself. Okay. It does. Yeah. I mean, just <laughs> <laughs> we basically have it right now. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's not it's not great, and that's 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 about the only bad thing I can really say about it. But I think kind of given that, and you would even think like the airport would be like a limiting uh, factor because how many things can you really do in an airport? And it turns out quite a bit. I mean, it's not like they do a whole bunch of like clever stuff, but I think just it being like a hub of transport uh, adds a lot of um opens up some story possibilities and I think like the whole idea of like this fake airline is kind of fun um, <laughs> I argue I, I said earlier like they're not stupid I do think putting like what you are as like your airline name is maybe not <laughs> stupid, I, guess point. I, guess, I guess they have some reason to believe that they have some some layers of <laughs> you know of removal there no, uh, this is a fun one. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a highlight of the season for sure. And I didn't think I'd say that for a six-part serial because those typically tend to be kind of weak. Um, but not not so here. Uh, director notes, writer notes, cast notes, all that stuff? Let's do it. So this all was right. directed by... Where is this? This was directed by Jerry Mill. Um, That's who, a name, right? Or no? What? Is that a familiar name? Have we, that, is, have we... that is a familiar name. He's directed two serials. He directed The Massacre of St. Bartholomew's Eve and this one, and that's it. So you just got the two. Ah. Um, according to Wikipedia, he's also the godfather of Benedict Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch. 
Oh, that's interesting. That'll uh, you know, uh, put a, you know what? Hold that thought. It'll come up again in the cast notes, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, you just had a long career just doing different TV shows. Um, but that, that, those were his only two Doctor Who stories, this one and The Masker. Obviously, both are mostly missing. Mask is completely yeah. missing. Mask is like the most missing serial that is out there. Uh, and this one, at least we have two episodes to, uh, to judge him on. I guess. Judge may be a strong word, but two episodes to um, have opinion on about him. But uh, it was written by a pair of writers, Malcolm Hulk and David Ellis. David Ellis is a pen name for David Kirkham. Uh, but I'm going to keep calling him David Ellis. That's and uh, this is the only story David Ellis writes. Malcolm Hulk writes a couple more. Something I think is interesting is both of them have been trying to like have submitted scripts for Doctor Who in the past that got rejected. So they both had two rejected stories dating back to like the start of the show, like season one. Um, I only know the names of the stories. The Hulk is called The Hidden Planet in Britain. 408 AD. And then David Ellis's were called The Clock and the Ocean Liner. Ooh. Um, <laughs> I guess you can try to guess what those ones are about. Uh, I guess Britain 408 AD uh, maybe has the most clues there. Don't really yeah. know what happened in Britain in 408 off the top of my head. They also, so they, after getting rejected so much, they formed a partnership and then they, their first script for their partnership got rejected. It was called The People Who Couldn't Remember, <laughs> which um, sounds like such interesting. I, now, I don't know if some of these have eventually been like found um, in, like, let's see. No. So there are some where like they've, they've produced some of the unproduced Doctor Who, either it'd be a novel or audio drama. I don't know if any of these fall in that category, though. Got it. But with this script, they finally got, uh, they got one on screen. Uh, originally, it was called The Big Store. Uh, of course, it got, you know, with all the different changes to it. And, uh, you know, I think it was Lloyd. Um, Lloyd asked them to change it to six serials because, frankly, doing only four episodes, it was just, that would have added another serial at the end of the season. And they were running out of money. So this one was extended for money reasons. Same with the Evil Adolis. Evil Adolis is seven episodes. Um, part of the reason why that one's so long is because they just wanted to, you know, because you got another serial, you got to get another director, you got to get some more guest actors, you got to make more sets, you got to pay more writers, you know what I mean? And so it's, it's a more, the more serials you have, the more expensive the enterprise is. So um even though you and i and i think even like back in the day with like verity and lambert they realized four was the right number and then if you want to have a really big one make it six four is the right number and as lloyd is making choices um for for business reasons here but at least for this one it, it still works at a certain point you have to keep the lights on right you gotta keep the lights on um let's see uh, so yeah, this is David Ellis's only contribution. Malcolm Polk is a name we will be seeing again, though. This is his first contribution out of, give me a second account. He has eight total. Some of them are co-written. 
Uh, one of them is an uncredited rewrite, so I guess really seven. Okay. Uh, so Polk has, this is the first out of seven contributions to the show. Uh, so we'll be seeing his name again. And the music is stock music. So nothing, you know, nothing, nothing to yeah. really report there. Uh, any cast notes from you? Uh, yeah, quite a few. Um, let's see. Not everyone has something too notable to talk about. So I'll try to kind of make them snappy here. Um, a couple, a couple, couple. I just wanted to get the names out there. George Selway plays Meadows. Victor Winding plays Spencer. Madeleine and Cole plays Nurse Pinto, who I thought for sure would have like a first name, but nope, just Nurse Pinto. <laughs> uh, this is just the quick fire ones. Uh, Pauline Collins, we just talked about a little bit earlier, uh, plays Samantha Briggs. She will return much later to the show as Queen Victoria in Tooth and Claw. She's also. Uh, Pretty famously reoccurring on uh, the original Upstairs Downstairs BBC series, or British series. I don't know if it's necessarily BBC. Nominated for an Academy Award for her work in 1989's Shirley Valentine. So uh, turning down the companion thing didn't create like a dark timeline for her at all. Um, no, not. She mentioned her her parents asked me Victoria is in the re revived series. Yes, yes, that is, that's fair. Well, you could tell because the title wasn't like The Tooth and the Claw or like The Clawed Tooth or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she did lose to Jessica Tandy in Driving Miss Daisy, which I haven't seen. Um, I haven't seen either, so I couldn't tell you whether that was fair or not, but if you got to lose to someone, Jessica Tandy's not too bad. Uh, Colin Gordon plays the, uh, he's a commandant or commandant. They said it 800 times about the whole thing. Commandant. That, that's what I thought. Colin Gordon also appears in 1963's The Pink Panther, 1967's Casino Royale, and The Prisoner. Speaking of The Prisoner, he's one of only two actors to play number two more than once. Uh, interesting. I did not place him, but uh, that makes sense. We should do The Prisoner one day. We, uh, I'd you, love to. You've seen all of it, and I watched yeah. like a couple, and uh, I just dropped off of it, but man. It's, it's only 17 crazy. episodes. We could, we could do it for you. Oh, yeah, something to think about. Um, I'm 100% on board on this one. Awesome. I'm going to save Gene Rock for last, I think. Yeah, I think so. Peter Whitaker, uh, in a very, very small role as Inspector Gascoigne. Uh, this is his only credited role on Doctor Who, although he would go on to play uncredited roles in several more. Yeah, very brief appearance in this. Donald Pickering plays Captain Blade, which is a great name. Previously appeared as Ison in the Keys of Marinus, a role I do not remember in a serial I do not like very much. <laughs> Will appear again as Baeus in Time in the Ronnie. Or Ronnie? Time in the Ronnie, you got it right. Uh, awesome. Oh, is that not a good one, or is that a... <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'll, you'll find out. Oh, boy. I love getting these little reactions of things that haven't happened yet. It gives me something to look forward to. Uh, others may know Donald Pickering as Sir Duncan from The Man Who Knew Too Little. Oh. Oh, no, I'm thinking, I was, I've not actually seen that. I've seen The Man Who Knew Too Much. And ah, no, that's, that's a different guy. This is The Man Who Knew Too Little, which I yeah. think, unless I'm talking out my butt, so I might. Um, it's, a, it's a comedy, right? Like a satire? A comedy that I believe starred Bill Murray. Hold on. I just have to know now. Bill Murray. Yep. 
Yep, it's a. Uh, I've seen, I've seen parts of this. My dad liked the man who knew too little. Yeah, it's all right. I don't. I don't remember being blown away by it, but I was like, no, I'm good. I, I'm glad I saw this. Let's see who else we got. We have. Is that? The, is that no, I'm thinking of Spies Like Us. Never mind. No, that yeah, that's not not Chevy Chase and um. No, 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 different thing. Christopher Tranchell plays Jenkins, big recurring Doctor Who actor. Uh, but for now, we'll just say he was previously in The Massacre and will appear again in The Invasion of Time. Uh, that's not her name. Gilly Fraser plays Ann Davidson, who I only mentioned because turns out she was Peter Purvis's first wife. Oh. Yeah, there's a little connection there. All right, last two. Bernard Kay plays Cro Crossland, major role in this. Was previously Saladin in The Crusade. And Carl Tyler in the Dalek Invasion of Earth. So he just kind of keeps coming back in these major roles and memorable mm -hmm. ones with that. Uh, he also appeared in Dr. Shivago, which is not any small task. Did an interview on Toby Hadoki's Who's Round. I know I'm saying his name wrong, but Toby Had Haddix, maybe? I did this last week. Um, and he's on the Who's Round podcast. An extract of that audio was used as a commentary for the DVD release of The Faceless Ones. Finally, Wanda Ventham as Jean Rock. She will be on Doctor Who many more times as Thea Ransom in Image of the Fendall and Faroon in what it sounds like your favorite uh, serial, Time in the Run. <laughs> Probably best known for her recurring role as Virginia Lake in the 70s series UFO. Uh, she wasn't in as many episodes as people remember, but it was notable for being a, a role of authority in a time when women just didn't play roles like that very often in major series. So she just is kind of a memorable role for many. Uh, finally, uh, you mentioned ben Benedict Cumberbatch's godfather. Wanda's Benedict Cumberbatch's actual mother. Mm. So if you do the math there, um, you can kind of see, you kind of track some of uh, Wanda's personal history. And um, yeah, Benedict just kind of keeps coming up on these things. Yeah. <laughs> Um, true. I don't think he ever makes an appearance in the show. Who's mistaken by that, though? Not yet. Not yet, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, something, she, so she played Jean, who was, like, the commandant's secretary in this. Mm -hmm. Like I say, watching it this time, like, knowing, knowing, you know, it was supposed to be uh, Samantha Briggs, the Pauline Collins character, supposed to be the companion, she wasn't. But watching it this time, like, they should have offered it to Jean to be the, uh, to the, be the companion, because she was awesome in the serial. I yeah, thought. Yeah, no, she's really great. I do think it's interesting because the first female companion is arguably one of the better characters on the show's history up to this point, that being uh, Barbara. And it feels like the female role is always, they've always shot for younger ever since. And not that she's old, you know what I mean? But like they don't yeah. for like, like, like early 20s and even younger than that for some of these like teenagers. But so it's interesting that they haven't really gone back to that well because I do think it adds a dynamic that, you know, the show just hasn't gotten to play with in a couple of seasons. And, uh, you know, this might be an ironic comment because I don't know, I don't know who the next companion is going to be. So maybe they, they, maybe they absolutely do that. I have no idea. But yeah, it's a shame. She is really good. This, can I get, can I get light Sarah Kingdom vibes <laughs> from that role? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, there any other notes? I guess we can start. Yeah, let's dive in. This task of breaking this thing down in all six parts. 
And we start, as we always do, with episode one. Uh, it starts off with a bang, in my opinion. Uh, the TARDIS, we establish ourselves immediately at an airport, or at least there's a place where uh, airplanes are flying around. TARDIS appears on the runway at the airport, and they're immediately, like, running for their lives. <laughs> it's great. I'm not, I'm not too sure that makes sense, because like, the TARDIS would be the safest place for them. But I <laughs> guess maybe in a moment of panic, everyone just started running. And you do get this. You do get this funny moment. It's like it's kind of a lamp of a moment. But like J- Jamie's pointing at this guy, going, "That metal beast." <laughs> <laughs> metal beastie. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, <laughs> kind of reminds me of like that uh, that Conan moment of the old timey baseball, <laughs> where it's, and he's in character as like a nineteen hundreds person, and then a, yeah, uh, an airplane flies over, and he's like, "What is that? What ho? That metal beast." But, uh, <laughs> They've beat him to it by 30 years. <laughs> so yeah, so they're on the run. I, I, again, this is why this setting is so interesting. I, I, don't need, I, I think the department store idea is valid. I hope it's when they return to it at some point. But I don't think you have this immediacy of action of like, oh shit, an airplane's trying to land where we are. Something I will say is there is a story that does take place in a department store that has kind of a similar setup eventually. Ooh. I won't say when. That is intriguing. Uh, obviously, they don't get run over by an airplane. Um, <laughs> like they, they avoid disaster, but they do get spotted by a group of police officers, if I'm not mistaken here. And uh, so, th- immediately, we're, we're already on the run here. Uh, I should mention uh, this is what we meet the commandant pretty, pretty early on here. Um, he's given the pretty, pretty crazy report from air traffic control that there's a police box on the runway. Um, I mentioned this because I think they do a good job of like making us forget about this loose thread until we get to the very end. But the TARDIS uh, kind of gets carted away, right? Yeah. And it doesn't go mentioned again until we kind of need a cliffhanger for the end. But I, th- I thought they did a good job of kind of not making this, we got to find the TARDIS a piece of the action because I do think, I, I don't know where they're going to go for the next um, serial starting off. Something I'll say is it, it gets used in the next serial. That's all I'll say. And okay. so it, it is a kind of a nice continuity, a nice um, piece of, I think, storytelling momentum they used to go into their next, uh, next serial. Yeah, whenever they're able to do that, it is kind of exciting. We talk a lot about the serials that aired in advance of the Dalek's Master Plan, the, the big 12-part thing. And... Um, so there was a little bit of continuity to that. Like there's an injury that occurs that kind of carries over into that. And obviously they set it up with like a kind of one-off prologue. Mm-hmm. So like whenever they kind of, even though there's, it is a serialized show, it's not, not a, sort of, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of like continuity. So when they're able to get that continuity, it's, it's, a, it's pretty thrilling. So I'm looking forward to starting off that serial. Uh, where everyone kind of gets split up, right? Like Ben's on Ben's being chased by an officer. Polly's hiding in like like a storage facility, I guess, for lack of a better term, or like a like a hangar, I guess would be a better term for it. So I don't know if we want to just jump immediately to Polly because she's kind of sees the she's kind of involved in the inciting incident here. And I don't know if you want to walk us through that. Yeah, Polly goes and hides in the chameleon tours hangar. 
luckily for the uh, plot of this episode, she didn't go hide in like international airlines or something like that. I don't know what, <laughs> what airlines they had in Britain in the 60s, but uh, she, she hides in a chameleon tours hangar and uh, she immediately sees someone get murdered uh, by some kind of like ray gun. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly too. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, this is, this episode really does start with a lot of great like, especially given like there was no cliffhanger for the last episode. So we just start. They're in the airport. They exit the TARDIS. They're running for their lives. Like it just, it just, it caps your attention right from the word go. Yeah, I think it helps too. Um, we did mention there's two episodes that are not missing. They are intact, and this is one of them. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that I think that plays in its favor a little bit too because we're kind of getting you know the actual use of set and stuff. And I do think they, this was shot on location, was it not? It was I shot in Galway Airport, yeah. Yeah, pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Not all of it. There are some sets, but there were parts that were shot. Basically, anything inside was shot in the studio, but there were scenes shot outside at Gatwick Airport. I think that adds something. I think if this was all completely um, animated, it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world. I do think we would have lost that sense of like, oh, they're, they're outside. They're actually on a runway. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Uh, this is where we meet uh, the pair of pilots here, Blade and Spencer. Mm-hmm. Basically, our main two villains. The majority of the, they kind of represent the whole race. We 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 meet other chameleons, but they're the main two, I think. Yeah, exactly. And we get a little insight, a little context as to what Polly just saw. Mm-hmm. I believe Polly's like, you know, she's in hiding, kind of listening in on all of this, as I recall. And yeah. um, she's yeah. seen enough to where she doesn't panic. Yeah, no, she's a she's a she's a cool she's a cool customer, which is uh, something that I, I've always appreciated about her. You talk about, like, yeah, Spencer says, Spencer's the guy who uh, shot this mysterious man. Blade's the one who just came in asking what's happened. Spencer says he knew about the postcards, which, and we won't get a whole lot of follow-up as to what that means, something to maybe put a pin in. Blade is concerned. Another, another little clue. A parent might have uh, intercepted them and uh, come looking for us. Sounds pretty bad, whatever it is. Uh, I believe... So they, they, they get, well, they get like, um, yeah, they, they see like the doctor and Jamie, like, like an alarm goes off. Right. And that the, police, allows, the police are still looking for them, right? Right. The police are still looking for them. The, these two, you know, we don't know anything about these two other than they had a ray gun and they're airport pilots. And so Paul uses this, um, this opportunity to, you know, get get to work. Yeah, I think she runs out. I think they find the doctor. The only reason I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to remember how the doctor gets involved because this is where he kind of does some investigating and goes, you said this guy was shot because he looks electrocuted. Yeah, so, so she brings them in and like they're being watched on a monitor. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yep. And so, yeah, so she gets the doctor and Jamie. The doctor and Jamie had met up. Um... And so, yeah, she escapes. Right. And, um, they, and Blade and Spencer overhear her saying, because the doctor says, like, would you be able to recognize the man that did this? And she's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I got a great look at him. So right. they kind of assess it. Like, the doctor is probably, like, a bigger threat, but, like, Polly can 
can finger us right now. So, like, that's the thing we got to take care He's of. He's a more immediate threat, yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. Something I think is interesting about this year, I felt like, I feel like the Doctor and Jamie haven't had that much to do together in Jamie's tenure on the show. I feel like he's been more attached to Ben and Polly. Um, and so I think, I think it's very deliberate that he's paired with the doctor for these first two episodes for the majority of the time. It does feel like they're trying something out. Right. And like, I think yeah. in retrospect, I didn't really know the history behind it. That's by design, but you know, it does feel like there are, they've already kind of, obviously the writing's on the wall for Ben and Polly. Mm-hmm. I think this is their opportunity to go like, well, it's going to be the Jamie and doctor show for an indeterminate amount of time. Let's, Build some chemistry. Let's see what they can do together. And uh, I think it's a pretty good effect. I think so, too. Uh, I think they, the two have a lot of really good chemistry. Yeah, so uh, Polly gets knocked unconscious using, like, this little pen device. Well, it should, it should be mentioned, like, they're leaving, and the doctor and Jamie are, like, bickering, and Polly's just, like, a step behind. Right. And so they, like, slide out and, like I said, knock him out with what probably was literally a, a pen prop, but, like, a pen-like device that, like, shoots air. Which again, a smart thing. I think it's good to kind of have like normal everyday props and like in the universe of the show, like it's just, it's a big, it's a nasty weapon that just happens to look like a pen. I always think that's a nice little like cost cutting move because you don't question it as long as it's real to them. Right. Uh, you know, and she gets interrogated. They don't really get too far. She's pretty, she, she holds her own here and doesn't feel like they really try all that hard, in my opinion. <laughs> well, when they can just like, copy her and just have her memories they don't really need to it's true that's true um so they kind of get they get back to work to trying to find like her friends because you know <laughs> they have <laughs> they have a plan for polly here so let's, let's try to get the rest of them mm-hmm. uh dr and jamie are inside the uh inside the actual airport and they're immigrant they're at customs basically. well so they they do notice polly's gone and they look for her and can't find her so yeah they go they go to immigration and customs to try to talk to someone in charge. Which is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. And meet Jenkins, who rightly stops them because they don't have any passports. And I think that they, Jenkins kind of puts together kind of quickly, like they probably have something to do with like this police box that showed up out of nowhere, right? It's one of those yeah. things, like two, two weird things putting it, them together. Exactly. It's, it's a pretty reasonable suspicion on his part. Uh, we have, um, which which yeah. the, the doctor and Jamie seem completely oblivious to for most of the time. Yeah, it's funny. Like, <laughs> uh, well, I, I also like when they asked him how I got there, that Jamie's like, oh, in the TARDIS. Like, oh, to that's Jamie, right. he has no reason to think that, like, that's not normal travel. Yeah, again, I think this is the moment where they. I, they take opportunities to do with Jamie what they never did with Katarina, which is kind of play with this person out of time that like kind of finds wonder in everything. Like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he just says like TARDIS kind of reminds me of, uh, when they just talk about the TARDIS in front of like the war machine in the, the beginning of, it's like, no one knows what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, we haven't yeah. talked Ben in a little bit, but, uh, he does, he does go back to the, uh, he finds the chameleon hanger and um this is where he kind of runs into blade and uh gene coming off the assistant and this is where ben kind of gets apprehended right 
Yeah. Not, yeah. not quite arrested, but. Well, uh, he doesn't, yeah, he just gets showed the way out. Like, he, they have no reason to be yeah. suspicious of him at this point. I guess that's true, but he's not, he's not where he should be. Right. Um, see, I just want to put a, I just wanted to mention that. Uh, did the, oh, here we go. Yep, got it. Uh, the commandant shows up. And, you know, he, he gives the doctor and Jamie a chance to tell their story. And to the commandant's credit, like, he doesn't really seem to believe them. He does allow them to uh, take him to the hangar to kind of, like, verify their story. So I think the commandant is, all, is also, like, a well-written character here. Like, he's not, he's not plot-blocking or anything. He's not there just to, like, get in their way. Like, he does try to, but he's, it, try, he's try to reasonable. help them. He's reasonable the whole time. Like, he doesn't – their story is ridiculous, so – him not believing it makes feel perfect. real. But like when he's when he's given evidence he can't deny, he doesn't just like deny it for the sake of like plot issues. Like he, he's a very reasonable character in this. And I and I, I agree. I think he's he's really well written. Which I think also helps the show or like this series of episodes like have some momentum. Like it's not just like we have the we have the stall for an episode, so like let's Let's just have, have the commandant, like, yeah, be deny what's in front of his own eyes. Yeah, exactly. So they get back to the, uh, well, not quite. As they're on their way back to the hangar, we kind of get a little insight. It's Blade and Spencer alone. And this is our next kind of big clue as to what the big story here might be for the next five episodes. Because they're putting stamps on stuff. Uh, they're, they're putting together some of these postcards. These postcards are important enough to kill over. And we get to see Blade opens up like a, like a refrigerator, basically. And uh, what's inside? Um, a person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not great. So um, Not great, but yeah. Uh... Uh, 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 let's see. Yeah. The, the pilots get, uh, they get alerted, basically. Like, there's people coming. So uh, mm. make themselves scared. So I don't know if they're hiding or if they just like leave. That part I don't quite remember, but... As the doctor, Jamie, and the commandant come in, body's gone, which make, which makes sense. Uh, right. Makes sense that Blade and Spencer would have cleaned up after themselves. That's just a, a reasonable thing to do. But there's uh, some deductions that the doctor's able to make here, right? Because there's like some scorch marks and some kind of like frayed wires and stuff that kind of allude to the electrocution nature of the uh, the pen device. Right, and he also has the um, the stamp mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that he found right. on the body, and um, you know, the they there's a a big box, and so the doctor's like, well, let's open it. Um, and if you've ever seen a movie before, you know it's going to be nothing's going to be in there. But um, right, yeah, he still he still gets in the, the commandant's like appeasing him at this point he's like okay let's open it let's see if there's a dead body in here <laughs> and they open it up and there's plastic cups and so he's like okay i've, I've had enough of this Which um, reasonable yeah reasonable and he takes the doctor and jamie away and meanwhile spencer takes out uh something from the compartment yeah it's this odd odd creature that it's it's not clear what it is. It's like it's it's it's, um, it's obscured, and um, 
but it's reaching it's reaching what is called like the suffocation point so I think they need to like go and take care of it give it a give it assistance and it's, it's, it's all in vague terms but that's good for us otherwise there'd be no there'd be no point in going forward <laughs> so uh, meanwhile yeah. meanwhile we get a you know doctor and jamie are being questioned by the commandant when they see polly mm-hmm. and, and go, hey polly <laughs> can you help us out here can you verify what you saw and her response is who are you? I don't know what's going on. I don't know what you're talking about. Which would in itself be like a pretty killer uh, cliffhanger. But I do think they find like a creepier, quieter note to end on, which is this next scene where we kind of see uh, what, you know, where they're taking this little unseen creature. They take it to like a medical center uh, somewhere on the airport. I guess that makes sense. Of course, they'd have like medical center somewhere. And they set him down on the bench and we get a good look at a uh, its head, or at least a, a, as good a look as we're going to get. And uh, how would you describe what it looks like? Somebody else says it didn't look like on screen what it looked like animated, in my opinion. I kind of for, they kind of go for lizard creature in the uh, animation, which isn't quite right. Well, it's not what it looked like here. You just kind of look like a, a lumpy, <laughs> a lumpy head, a lumpy like. Um, like a Power Rangers goon or something, like one of those. Yeah, something like that. But yeah, and then that—that's the end of episode one. We get like a little creature creature effect, and then um, that's it for number one. Uh, episode two. I'm sure you never met these men. They say they know you. They can't know me. This is my first visit to England. But Paulie, it's us, me and the doctor. Would you mind telling us your name? Uh, from Zurich. We start off pretty much where we left off uh, on both counts. Um, we kind of get mm-hmm. even more context into like what this um, medical procedure is going to be. We see this uh, character who ends up being a guy named Meadows, who's an air traffic controller, who is unconscious on a gurney next to this uh, lumpy little creature. And maybe we should stick with this thread just really quickly because um, yeah, it stops and bounces back and forth. And in the episode, I think it does. But uh, I don't know that we, we meet our nurse character, Nurse Pinto. I don't know if we want to give a brief overview as to like what's going on here. Well, just um, they kind of show you the 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 alien turning in and looking like Meadows, right? Um, and so that's a uh, just kind of letting you know, kind of like answering what what's going on with Polly and. Not in an indirect way, and letting you know, like, okay, this is a body snatching story. Exactly, which gives a. Uh, oh, we should mention that you're given like, these little armbands. Mm, yeah, that's uh, true. The armbands end up being very important. Yep. So it's good to mention that, and that kind of leads us into kind of cut back to the uh, kind of the other cliffhanger from episode one. This whole Polly not recognizing them business. She claims to be this woman who, and I'm glad I'm looking at something official because I wouldn't have remembered this name. The current, I'm not Polly. My name is Michelle Lupi from Zurich. Uh, to which I think that either Doctor or Jamie rightly asked, like, why is your English accent like so perfect? Which <laughs> it's kind of funny, but it also ends up being kind of an important plot point and kind of a signifier to something's wrong uh, right. later on. Um, 
and she kind of waves it off by going like i had a i had a good i had a very excellent go- governess when i was growing up so so she leaves jamie kind of follows after her and i think it's the doctor and the commandant from here right no they both make a dash they both make a dash okay yeah they oh, both right. make a dash here oh that's right because the commandant calls the police yeah uh and yeah it should be mentioned uh, the doctor does see, I don't remember if it's on the wall or if it's like a flyer, uh, an ad for chameleon tours, which are specific. It, for, at least in the, in the animated one, he sees a, an app, uh, a newspaper. He's reading a newspaper and sees it in there. There it They're is. Both, he's doing the classic thing where he's just hiding behind a big newspaper. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that is pretty funny. And that feels like a second doctor move, by the way. Yes. Kind of like a goofy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and they're specifically um, looking for people 18 to 25. 18 to um, 25. Um, um, very specific. And they also meet ben, meet up with Ben here. So, Yeah. Uh, ben, who um, also kind of spots a woman who looks an awful lot like Polly, working the chameleon to her desk. And it, it, it's funny that um, this came right off the heels of the Macro Terror, which is sort of a Ben um, brainwashing scenario and it's not quite the same here this is literally like body swatching body swatching body swapping but it kind of Polly kind of gets to do kind of a similar thing that ben did of kind of like being someone different and like not not being who she seems to be i thought that was kind of an interesting little back-to-back for these it is it is uh but i don't know for me that was a little detrimental having just watched it and then watching it having have it happen again it was kind of like you couldn't, you couldn't think of something for all four of them to be doing? <laughs> it's true. And it's also funny because like, this is like basically the last thing they ever get to do on this show. <laughs> so it's a little... She doesn't even true, get but... to sink her teeth into uh, compared to like Ben got like a whole story of her stuff. But yeah, uh, is this... No, we're not quite there yet. Uh, she does mention uh, someone being shot. Uh, so I, I don't remember how that plays out in the actual. Well, the doctor was, was talking to her, trying to speak to her, and she denies everything. But she actually lets it slip, like about like you, she says something like really vague, like we know you you told us what you found, and she was like, I didn't mention anything about anyone someone being shot. Like she's kind of like um, one of those classic little like what, like little tongue slips. But she does seem genuinely confused about the whole thing, which kind of like. I remember watching it like this time around. I couldn't quite remember like why that was, but I think it was just like that kind of indicates the transfer process is flawed. Yeah, it doesn't always go off with a, without a hitch, right? Yeah. Um, and this is where Blade orders uh, Marcelo slash Polly uh, to take off to the next fight back to the base, and he's going to take care of the doctor himself. So intrigue there. Uh, no, this is where they all decide to hide in the photo booth, right? Yes. <laughs> and they kind of like someone comes in to try to use it, and like, <laughs> it's kind of look. Which is pretty great. Again, that's kind of like the fun stuff. I, you have to imagine like the department store might have had something similar, right? Probably. Um, is there ever a is there ever a Doctor Who story that takes place like in a mall or something? That almost feels like that sort of track, a little bit. Um. I'm trying to think. Nothing, nothing's springing to mind right now. I don't know if malls mean the same thing in UK culture that it did US culture. I could be wrong. That, that, that might be like a uniquely American thing. I'm not certain. Uh, this is where they all kind of get assignments, right? Like Ben's going to go back to the hangar. 
Jamie's mm-hmm. going to yeah. yeah, Jamie's going to monitor the kiosks and kind of keep tabs on uh, what's going on over there. And the doctor's going to deal with the command commandant himself. But you know what? I think those are all logical assignments. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and this is where we meet Samantha Briggs, who shows up. At, she's 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 kind of um. Belly full of fire, as they say. I think they say that, right? She's all she's looking for her brother. She's looking for her brother. She's really upset. She she thinks Chameleon Tours hasn't been completely honest with her. She has a postcard, so kind of like tugging that postcard mystery um, thread. She's talking to Michelle slash Polly, who's not being very helpful. Um, and Jamie overhears the whole thing, but I guess you know Michelle's brother. Sorry, not Michelle. Samantha's brother um, went to Rome, and they haven't. And that was a couple weeks ago, and they haven't heard from him since. All they got was a postcard when he arrived. Right. And hotel he's supposed to be staying at doesn't exist. They can't find him. Uh, and of course, the whole tour was set up by Chameleon, so they set up the hotel and everything else. That's part of the reason why her eye is is, is at them. It's, and of course, something to keep in mind too is this is before the days of the internet when you could literally just like Google what hotels are there in Rome, right? You know, and so having having a travel company set up for you is probably something that was necessity for most people at that time. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you have to imagine the uh, chameleons would be kind of screwed in the in the world of Google reviews and stuff. Like <laughs> one star uh, took my one bar- star, never heard from my son again. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, uh, she, Michelle wants to uh, contact Blade. Spencer says Blade's basically like not online right now. Like you can't talk to him. <laughs> and uh, you know, I think Michelle slash Polly is trying her best to get Samantha to leave. But to her credit, she's like, "I'll, I'll stay right here until uh, someone's willing to talk to me about where my brother is," which is completely reasonable. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. It is very reasonable. Oh, should we also mention that she's from Liverpool? Yes. And you can definitely tell in her accent. Absolutely. I know that because I'm a Beatles fan. And so I'm like listening mm-hmm. to her and like, yeah, she sounds just like the Beatles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I won't attempt to do it right now, but whatever you're yeah. hearing in your head, that's what she sounds like. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's, that's where Jamie and uh, Samantha are left off for the time being. Doctor's not getting very far with the Commandant, meanwhile, is he? He's not. Um, but I think... I think the doctor recognized the commandant as a reasonable person. And I think he felt like if he, if he just spent enough time kind of convince him, the commandant would eventually see reason. And, you know, ultimately the doctor was right, I guess. Yeah, um, that is basically what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, he also gets some help because there's eventually a, a police inspector that kind of takes the doctor's side on it. But um, yes, Crossland, which I also think is like a, we'll get to him when we get to him, but I thought he was mm-hmm. a good addition to the story as well. You could see like a four episode version of this, maybe not including that character, but I think it was a good way to kind of add a different angle. Um, well, well and something I think they did that was smart with this one is like they kind of, they didn't give you all the characters in the first episode or even the first two episodes. Like it was kind of, the characters were kind of like slowly weaved into the story correct they're not all like i do think a lot of these stories kind of have a habit of they arrive at like a base you meet all your main principles in like the first couple scenes and then you go from there so yeah i think Mm -hmm. a nice little steady flow of new people 
uh, is a necessity, but it's one that I'm glad that they recognized. Uh, let's see. Oh yeah, Jean shows up because uh, she, she was over here doing the chameleon tours and is there to kind of like try to uh, stop that line. Out. You know, she tries to interrupt, right? Because like, it's just, and this is where the doctor kind of pulls. <laughs> I, I considered kind of being like a, a fake season one Walter White move. He, he, except he doesn't actually have a bomb. Um, he, he fakes a bomb, right? With like a... Yeah, with a rubber ball. Because <laughs> the police are... The police are basically like... Um, you know, uh, the, the first thing Commandant did was the doctor show was called the police, which again, reasonable. Um... And, you know, Jean, the reason why she interrupted is because she had heard some things about chameleon tours. But, yeah, the doctor, like, pulls out a rubber ball and says, it's a bomb! And then throws <laughs> it in the leaves. Um, <laughs> it rocks. Yes, it's awesome. It's so good. Uh, let's see. Should we keep bouncing back and forth? Should we stick with... Um, let's, let's, keep bouncing, let's keep bouncing back and forth. I like it. Uh, let's see. Kiosk is closed. Um, Michelle's new orders are to deal with Samantha, Samantha right now, and Samantha's kind of given a line that uh, I wouldn't have found very satisfactory either. So basically, like he arrived at Rome, and then he just kind of went off the grid. <laughs> they don't know where he is. And something I think it should be mentioned is like Chameleon Tours is almost done. We know this by the end of the serial. They're almost done, right? Like they're about yeah. to pack up and leave. So they're they're just like, okay, we just got to like deal with this woman for another couple hours and then it doesn't matter like right we'll just be gone yes i agree uh but it doesn't really explain like the whole like the hotel doesn't exist <laughs> or anything not really well i think it's just to cut down on paperwork if like they were booking a whole bunch of people with fifty thousand people into hotels and those people never show up to any of the hotels right those hotels would be like where are they? Like, give us our money. Where are they? Yeah, I, mean, I think <laughs> trying to set them up in real hotels would have been an issue. Absolutely. But, but yeah. I mean, I mean for like Samantha, like if I got that answer, I would still be like, but like, so why doesn't the uh, like why doesn't the hotel he's supposed to be at exist? Like, how can like right, right? Which is what's in her to her credit, right? Right. No, she's. I don't think we mentioned. We mentioned this maybe a little bit. I think she's a great character, and I'm sad to see her go so quickly because I thought I thought she played really well with like the cast of regulars. I agree. I agree. Um, and you definitely see like versions of stories going forward where she like challenges the doctor and Jamie um, like she mm -hmm. did in this story in a good way. Absolutely. Uh, ben, back at the hangar, opens up a packing case and he finds uh, a kind of hypnotized, frozen, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, but uh, Polly's body, still alive, but just like in a, in like a, hypnotic state which is uh not something you want to see so he uh he attempts to call for help uh specifically the commandant who is uh busy with other things right now um but i i don't think we should jump right there just yet i'm trying to figure out the best way to order things uh the doctor meets samantha we're back at the kiosk um yeah jamie introduces them and tells her what's going on Oh, and this is where they see on the monitor, like, Ben is about to get attacked by Spencer with that same little pen device. And this is, um... Yep. Uh, oh, he, he does. I think this is, I think this is, uh, basically... Ben, like a... Ben's laughing till the, yeah. uh, 
to the final episode. That's so lame, man. <laughs> um, it is unfortunate. But they do find another batch of postcards with uh, stamps all around the world, for destinations all around the world. So we're gathering evidence here. I do think, too, another nice thing about this serial is we essentially learn things when, around the same time that the doctor or whatever character does. Like, we're, we're maybe usually, like, maybe, like, a half step ahead of the doctor, maybe just because they have access to other characters talking about stuff. But we never feel like we're, like, waiting for the doctor to get it. <laughs> Agreed. Which also kind of, ironically, makes it feel like it's going by faster. Uh, Crossland shows up. The, the, basically, this other the detective character. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's here to investigate uh, the death of Gascoin, which makes sense. Well, the disappearance, anyways. Sure. Um, well, that's right. He doesn't know that he's dead, necessarily. So he gets filled in. Um, uh, Jenkins kind of explains to the doctor, the Jamie, that he found this dead body. I said the Jamie. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mm. stick with that. I think it's funny. <laughs> um, Meanwhile, Jamie and Samantha are uh, kind of getting close. Um, and kind of a one of many funny scenes here where like Samantha is very into Jamie and Jamie's a little not well, intimidated anymore. Yeah, intimidated. Yeah. He's a he's a good boy, and you know I think he comes from a place where I don't think women being this forward is usual. Right. But again, I think she plays really well with him here. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, a new fight to Zurich is announced. Uh, Doctor shows back up at the hangar. He does find, uh, he doesn't find Ben. He does find the uh, little pen device. Which I guess, I guess Spencer must have left behind. Well, uh, in theory, it's not stated, but I think it's part of like their trap for the Doctor here. Got uh, mm-hmm. So he does, he, he pockets that pen. We'll put a pin in that. Uh, the the, mm-hmm. uh, the new Zurich passengers are all given like these postcards that they're uh, instructed to like write out before they take off. Um, you know, the kiosk ladies handing out the uh, <laughs> handing out these uh, postcards. And again, Samantha, to her credit, immediately puts together um, this doesn't make any sense. Like clearly, like it, us me getting like that postcard doesn't mean he's in Rome at all. They clearly just had him uh, with everyone else on the plane fill it out ahead of time. So alarm bells are kind of going off there. Mm-hmm. And this is where... This, oh, is, this yeah. is where they meet Crossland. Mm-hmm. Crossland is going to become uh, a really, really, really big driving force for like at least the next episode. Um, maybe the next couple. I don't quite remember. But this is where... Okay, we've reached our uh, episode two cliffhanger. The doctor uh, looks around, finds... Finds the body of Meadows, the air traffic controller from earlier in the episode, also in the same kind of trance that Polly was in. And this is where, oh, this is the trap you were mentioning before earlier. Uh, Spencer gets on the loudspeaker and kind of um, yells for help, kind of disguises his voice to try to lure Dr. Off. He's drawn into the office. The office gets sealed, gets sealed closed. And how does this episode end? With a freezing vapor blowing out of a, you know, vent into the uh, into the room where the doctor is sealed. Doctor might be cooked here. Yeah, might be time for the third doctor already. 
<laughs> how great would that be if like just like the villain kills him like midway through the season that's like all right well that's a that's a re- that's a regeneration <laughs> i guess that could happen i don't know that it doesn't probably not though episode three you wanted to know what was the secret of chameleon tours well inspector Doctor's trying his best to. Uh... Before we go any further, um, something we did not talk about, which briefly I want to talk about. Yeah. How do you feel about the animation for the serial? Animation's fine. Uh, again, and I think this is a story that actually maybe even serves uh, a kind of fluid fluidity of motion, and even the color. Um, I think again, usually I kind of feel like the color animation. Obviously, it makes sense, but like I always go like, well, this is I, I kind of like being in like that black and white kind of like sixties world. I don't know. I think especially like it being like a modern story set in like a quote unquote modern airport. I think having it colorized kind of adds something, and it kind of makes me excited for the color era, which is not too far away. Uh, no, I think the animation is just fine. Again, there's not as many like big monster props that they have to like re-envision or kind of like make better than the actual show no i think it's i think i think it's solid how do you feel about it i like it uh you know this is the same animation team that did power of the daleks and the mock for terror this is their third try at it and you know i do think they've gotten better each time yes i definitely agree i think their first couple i wasn't super into it i don't think you were as well but the power of the daleks i think is unfortunately a a very poor animation which is too bad because it is such a big episode i Um, know but they didn't in a way maybe that's what caused us to have what we have now with this animation like with a big project like that where like there's some obvious failures you tend to learn a lot if you're able to kind of look at it that way yes i think so um so yeah, I think it's gotten better each time. And of course, they also do the next one, The Evil of the Daleks. Mm, we'll have to track to see if uh, that's even an even greater improvement. Mm-hmm. But no, this is a solid effort. Episode three. Doctor's uh, doing what he can here to, uh, you know, to preserve himself. He's trying to close up grills and these vents that you mentioned. And uh, Spencer's opening them up just as quickly. So his way out here is basically like play possum, right? Yep. He acts like he does get, he passed out. Guy comes to get him and the doctor freezes him. Yep. So uh, that's it for Spencer for a little bit, like a couple scenes anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. We should at least, we should at least pick up, like Blade does come in, like find Spencer and basically punishes him for like screwing that up. Yeah. Um, and so Blade, Blade has to leave the, the, the go pilot a flight. Right. So Jamie and Samantha are kind of being uh, not interrogated, but they're kind of giving their side of the story to Crossland, who's in information hunting mode here. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the doctor shows up, and uh, he recognizes that I think Crossland has like a little picture of Gascoin. And he goes, oh, that's the dead guy from earlier. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. So, Crossland, yeah, Crossland basically takes over the investigation here for a little while, and uh, he basically kind of gets he 
kind of forces the doc the commandant to work with the doctor, even though the commandant like doesn't believe him at all, um, or the doctor doesn't think he's going to. Right. Anyway, so Jamie's stuck at the kiosk, uh, and this is again, this is where Samantha is arguably taking more of an active role in uh, moving the story forward than even like Jamie, because <laughs> again, it's kind of like this nice push and pull here, right? Because Samantha's like, we should just go to the finger and investigate it ourselves, and Jamie's like, the doctor told me I need to stay here, like. Yeah, he's very, and she's like, oh, you always do what the doctor tells you to do type thing. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's a nice little bit of characterization for Jamie here, especially if we're trying to push his relationship with the doctor kind of forward here as a dynamic. Um, you know, the doctor is sort of like this guiding adult force in his life, and he gave him a job to do, and he doesn't want to deviate from it. <laughs> and it does, it does feel consistent. I mean, we never necessarily, like, Jamie's never really, He's teased the doctor, but he's not really questioned the doctor thus far. Right. Yeah, it's a it's kind of a big moment for him. Uh, this is uh, this is where <laughs> I did think this how this kind of um, where this goes is kind of funny. The doctor's explaining to Crossland and the commandant like this pen that he found and like this kind of like this this trap he just kind of got through. And this is where he introduces for the first time like this. The threat might be alien. This might, not, <laughs> this might not be humans that we're dealing with. Uh, which I believe the commandant kind of goes, almost like, roll, he's, he's almost incredulous, as I recall. He's very incredulous, yes. Which makes sense. If he's, if he's already not on board, and he's already going, like, it might be spaceships. <laughs> but the doctor kind of has, he kind of pleads his case. Um, Gascoigne was murdered by a weapon that doesn't exist here on Earth, that being this pen that I have. And furthermore, we don't know the reasons behind it, but Chameleon Tours seems to be like this shell company that a company is hiding behind in order to like basically kidnap a bunch of uh, young, like young, not young boys and girls, but uh, young men and women. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, we can cut this because I don't know, but like it's hard in an age where we all know about Jeffrey Epstein. It is really weird to hear see a story about like an airplane that's like taking young men and women specifically to places. I don't know. I mean, the show didn't do this on purpose, you, obviously, because it's like 40 years prior to that. But like, it's hard to like see that well, and think of it. True. Well, it's, it's nothing. It's probably nothing new. I mean, sex trafficking is nothing new, unfortunately. No. Um, I'm not sure if that's what, I don't, it's hard to say how intentional it is, but like, I mean, again, like I said, we can cut this. Uh, but I mean, there is what QAnon, right? Like that yeah. whole thing. Basically, yeah. the plot of this serial is what QAnon is, but make it politicians instead of the air, at an air airport. Right. God, you're right. No, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> like, like up to like all. It's almost the line of like they, they're drinking their blood. Like they're taking their bodies. But <laughs> yeah, how far how far removed is that? Not not that far, of course. This is way in advance, and you know that that I, I do think when it comes to a lot of body snatching stories, um, a lot of it is, you know, the the body snatchers are kind of a metaphor for the kind of the, the terrible people who do stuff like this. Uh, yeah, now, this story gives them a little bit more of a sympathetic backstory in a in a way, like they've been like brutally harmed by something in their planet and. They also look at humans as lesser beings. But um, 
nonetheless, I, you know, basically saying like people who do this are horrible reptile creatures. I mean, that metaphor is there, I think. I mean, even to take that metaphor one step further, I mean, if like, if a, if a trauma was put upon the chameleons, isn't that almost like a, I don't, I don't know if they're intentionally doing this, but you can make an argument that's almost like a metaphor of like that cycle of violence thing where like abusers are often like the abused first. True, true, yeah. yeah. Hurt people, hurt people, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know if the show is really going for this. I don't know if they even have time to like. They certainly, <laughs> if the show is going for this, it's very understated. Which is probably good. Um, I think it's probably better to have it something that you could like extrapolate rather than it being like a literal one for one. Um, that might be a little too mature for a show that's supposed to be a family show. Exactly. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, maybe we'll keep this in. I don't know. We'll see. I just sometimes it's an intense jump to make, but yeah, I'd be lying if I hadn't if it didn't cross my mind. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay to leave some of that in. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, anyway, I don't know if you want to like ex- do the honors of explaining kind of like how the doctor intends to prove the alien part of uh, his argument here. Um, well, with a pen, right? He goes right. and finds meadows. That's why um, it's really important that he saw meadows in the in the hangar. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he was, now he's with like the fake meadows, quote unquote. Yes, and like he brings up the pen-like device, the meadows just runs. <laughs> yeah, he just takes <laughs> off. Uh, but he does demonstrate how it works with some with a with a cup of tea, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and just friends it to solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, Samantha also finds an envelope full of a bunch of signed postcards from a lot of the uh, dudes, uh, youngsters. Right. She got the evidence of the. I think they looked through the kiosk, right? And she finds all the postcards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Signed postcards, and she she brings that evidence to the. The doctor and the confidant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So now this is where the confidant gets kind of like now on the side of the doctor and Samantha. At sort all. of. He's like, okay, your alien ship's ridiculous, but like there's something weird going on here. Right. I'll give you 12 hours. Like find which is, something. Which is so funny. I love when like arbitrary like timelines are given. You got 24 <laughs> hours. Dude. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jack Bauer shows up and like he shoots the plane down and stuff, right? I mean, this is kind of a the beginning of a twenty-four plot, right? People being kidnapped in their airport, and I could see that being a, yeah, that's the first true. eight episodes of a season of twenty-four. He's compelled to do it because like Kim gets on like the plane. He's like, no, we <laughs> uh. have to deal with different time zones. <laughs> I always wanted, this is not important. I've always wanted a show to do like a daylight saving science episode. So it's like, he has it, he has it until 2 a.m. So he's like, oh, thank God, it's 11, it's 11 o'clock. So it's like, Jack, it's, it's, it's spring forward today. He goes, no. <laughs> and the clock goes from 11.59.59 to 2 a.m. <laughs> it took two hours somehow. Yeah, as, you I got said, the time yeah, as I said this, I realized I messed up how uh, daylight saving time works. But uh, <laughs> I guess it would have been like, yeah, 12.59, 2 a.m. That's how, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. no. And then like something explodes or something. <laughs> In 10 years, they never did that. No, they didn't. <laughs> to be fair, I didn't watch the final 24 seasons, but I didn't have Jack Bauer in it. So. Oh, yeah. Maybe, maybe that happened there. <laughs> maybe, maybe it did. 
maybe it did. Twenty Four Legacy. Is that what that is? Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, no, I watched like the first episode because it was like the Super Bowl thing, and then I was like, eh, I don't care. <laughs> I know, same here. I, I think I watched the first couple, and like, I don't know, it just wasn't. Tony, Tony Almeida came back. How, how could we have? How could we have not watched it? <laughs> All right. Whatever. This is not twenty four podcast. Yeah, that, twenty four. Yeah, this is not twenty four cast. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, oh, Meadows, like the uh, the fake Meadows, like. I guess you can call him goes back to Spencer and he kind of gets yelled at for um, running away without getting further information. It is interesting. There's a little bit of infighting amongst the chameleons, which I found interesting. They don't, they don't make a huge deal out of it, but I do find that. Well, it, it is pretty crucial, I think, to the mm-hmm. resolution of the episode. That's, the true. That's true. Uh, Meadows is kind of given another chance to uh, redeem himself. He's given like this little button, this little device. It's like, I need you to go put that on the doctor. Uh, which will uh, quote unquote put paid to him once and for all, which is a very u- uniquely British phrasing, in my opinion. <laughs> Agreed. Oh, and this is another interesting little bit of information. So the doctor questions. You question Blade specifically here? No, it's another controller. Yeah, it's a different how, one. How far out the ra- uh, radar uh, can detect? Like, what's its range? Mm-hmm. And he learns that, like, after 130 miles, we don't have any record of the, we have nothing out for the uh, planes, like anything could happen here, which is interesting uh, and relevant to kind of where we go here. Um, and the commandant kind of goes like, are you sure like you're spending your time? I gave you 12 hours and like, you basically haven't left the observation tower. Like, are you sure this is like the best use of your resources? And this is where Meadows comes in, kind of bumps into the doctor as he's leaving the observation tower, and he puts that little device on him. Right. So that puts the end to that. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. So oh, doctor is- leaves. Oh, yeah. He goes Crossland. to Chameleon. Yeah. 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 Explain Crossland here. Like, what? Because this kind of sets up the end of the episode. Well, he wants to talk to the Captain Blade, the one who's kind of in charge of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and. He's like, okay. Uh, Spencer's like, okay, and let them go on to go on the plane to meet Blade on the next flight. Let's stick with Crossland and Blade here for just a second, and we'll get back to the Doctor. Um, okay. Unless you want to jump to the Doctor now and then go back. Let's go to the, let's go to the Doctor and go back to Crossland, I think. Yeah, they're, they're looking around that, that office that uh, the Spencer tried to um, kind of freeze the Doctor to death in, and like, they're... They're pretty convinced that there's, there must be like a secret chamber somewhere. So they're tearing it all apart, and they find they find a lot of stuff inside the room. Uh, they do, they mm-hmm. do, they do end up finding like a secret chamber, right? Yeah, they do. Yeah, and they find all kinds of stuff. They find like this air conditioning unit. They find uh, it's clearly it's all meant for someone who's not used to the atmosphere of this planet. That being right. Um, and they do find like they're. I think they find like the medical center and stuff too, right? And they're about to start investigating that when uh, Spencer actually well, the little device. Yeah, out. well, they, they they see stuff on the monitors, right? And then, yeah, Spencer, who's also watching them, he's watching them watch the monitors. And but he's watching the watchman. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah. They're all they're all watching each other. It's a state of surveillance, man. Uh, uh, yeah. And so Spencer activates the the device. Which this this is kind of lame, right? Like, 
Yeah. Put this device in the doctor and it'll get them. They activate the device. Jamie just takes it off and stomps on it. Yeah. I was going to say, like, this pretty bold talk when, like, this will put him, this will put him to bed once and for all. It just kind of gives him, like, a little sciatica. <laughs> like, maybe because he's a time lord, not a human. Maybe that's why it didn't affect him the same way. I don't know. Ooh, interesting. That's an interesting little theory. But yeah, but Jamie does kind of get, like, a hero moment here. That's, that's, yeah. that's just kind of cool. But it's a little, it's a little un- uncreative. Yeah. Back on the plane. Let's kind of wrap up this episode here. Um, so, well, Crossland confronts Blade as the plane's ready to take off, right? Like, as yeah. he's about to leave. And you know, basically, he, gets, he, he goes into the um, cockpit with Blade. Mm-hmm. Just because he wants to see how things go, and Blade's like, okay. And so, he, he noticed, you know, he notices, like, it's not a typical plane. Like, it doesn't look like a plane normally would. And of course, um, you know, the, the flight attendant passes out refreshments for everybody and Crossland and like, there's a monitor showing, showing the plane and Crossland's watching it and, they, and Blade's basically like, you want to know the secret? See for yourself. And you pull the lever and you see a, a big wide light and then suddenly all the passengers appear to be gone. And that's how the episode ends. Pretty spooky cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Episode four. Uh, the doctor said it was a uh, no job for a wee lassie. A wee lassie? You can tell the doctor. I say goodbye. <laughs> hey, kid. Let's see here. Yeah, the doctor still hasn't quite recovered. Like he's he's out of danger, but um, he's he's a man down at the moment. So Spencer just kind of runs in with like his gun and like is about to like kill Jamie with it, right? Yep. But then Samantha comes in and uh, she, you know, she kind of struggles for the gun, but she's getting like her hero moment. And this is why this is here. I'm like, I'm loving Samantha. I can't wait. This is clearly like the next. She generation. she was a strong companion, and you know, like I said, like Malcolm Hulk and David Ellis were were told write in a new companion, right? I mean. She, Mm-hmm. That's what that's what the intention was here. It just didn't work out. But at the same time, I do kind of like that we do have this really, and I actually think most of the characters are really strong. We do have this really strong cast of supporting characters. I think it it adds a lot to the serial. And they're all kind of different from each other too. I think sometimes some of these this isn't like a base a base under siege story, but those kind of have like sometimes it fits like different archetypes and they can kind of start blending together here. But here we get like pilots and kind of like people not being who they seem. And you have like air traffic controllers and like civilians and like police officers. It's a nice little blend of archetypes. I agree. Uh, but Spencer does get the upper hand on everybody here and he freezes. I guess he wasn't trying to kill Jamie. He's trying to freeze him. So he freezes Jamie and Samantha and the doctor, I think he's already kind of laid out. Well, no, like he was trying to kill him with a ray gun. He lost a ray gun, but Spencer had the freezing device still and froze them. That's it. This felt kind of James Bondish to me here because it's like they basically like they're not really strapped down or anything, but they're frozen. Like they can't move, and they're all on the floor. Mm-hmm. It's like this like laser beam that's like about to like <laughs> cut through them. I guess um, it's not clear what's going to happen, but it, it is going to end them. It, it, <laughs> I had the same thought. It felt like Goldfinger, right? Yep. You expect me to talk? 
no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die with this really slow laser pointer. <laughs> I guess you could argue he was expecting the James Bond to talk there, but still. Yeah, he's like, come on, talk. <laughs> uh, and again, tell me how you feel about this. Let's stick with them just for a second here. Because um, they do kind of, they're paralyzed, but they are starting to like regain consciousness here. And the resolution is that Samantha's able to fight the paralysis a little bit, grab like a mirror, mm -hmm. throws it to Jamie, and then uh, he kind of affects the light, which is, you know, I think that's a reasonable enough. Th I, I do think it kind of neutral. There's no reason they didn't just kill him. Yeah. It was stupid. It was stupid. I'm well, sorry. Yeah, it's stupid. It, it was kind of a fun little set piece, but there was, there's, no, there's no internal logic behind it. Like you have these guys killing people with ray guns, and it's he's not like, he doesn't just, of like being the leads, right? <laughs> yeah. So, but like, he can't just like point the laser at him and kill him. Like, it, it doesn't make sense. Well, and also, I think it, even more to the point, even if you kind of go with it and go like, it's a fun little James Bondian set piece, it kind of neutralizes the threat of the, the freeze ray. If it's like, you can kind of just like overcome it with like effort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> It, we, we, we both really like the cereal, but this is definitely like a weak point. And this is probably a little bit of padding here too. Like, okay. Yeah. But I will, I'll, I guess I'd- feeling too long. This is the closest it gets to feeling like that. Yeah. And even then it was still a fun scene, even if it doesn't really make sense. So I, I didn't mind it that much. Yeah. But regardless, uh, Samantha is, uh, is sent back to spy on the uh, kiosk. And Dr. and Jamie are going to the medical center. Uh, they are undeterred. Uh, we should mention, uh, Blade mentions he has an original, back on the plane, uh, he's going to be delivering a uh, original for the director and then go back to Gatwick. I think this is the first time we, we hear mention of a director. Or I believe so as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, Nurse Pinto performs one of those chameleon transfers on the, the Officer Jenkins that we may have remembered from a couple episodes prior. So more and more people are getting infiltrated into this. This is what I kind of talk about as a Cold War aspect of it, right? Kind of like the communists. Yeah. Um, you know, they're infiltrating positions of authority. And there's even like that kind of, by the time this airs, by the time this episode uh, gets released, I'm sure it'll be like a, a series that's coming down. But the Secret Invasion uh, storyline from uh, the Marvel Comics and now to be a... Uh, has been, I guess, at this point, a uh, Disney Plus original. Kind of has that similar thing of people not being who they seem, and they're actually well, like, yeah. The the scrolls in you know Marvel comics are kind of similar to the chameleons here, and scrolls predate the chameleons. And I don't even think the scrolls were a particularly uh, original idea either. Probably not. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh yeah, Jamie and Doctor arrive at the medical facility. And uh, Jamie's pretending like he's sick, since so it kind of kind of give them an alibi as to why they're there. Uh, but Nurse Pinto is being pretty, pretty defiant. Like they're not allowed to enter uh, the room. Uh, she's hard at work on checking to make sure the transfer for Jenkins went okay. Right. Uh, really quickly, Spencer and like the new Jenkins uh, notice that their enemies, <laughs> basically the Doctor and uh, Samantha and Jamie, managed to like. Uh, Avoid their death trap. So that's another thing. <laughs> that. 
and you would think the, you would think someone would just get yelled at for like hey why didn't you just like kill them but us uh, Jenkins wants to like go out and like make it right and Spencer's like they're gonna come to us eventually so like let's just let's just chill for the moment and he's not wrong so no he's not wrong um yeah, this is where the doctor and the commandant kind of realize that Crossbones missing. He hasn't, hasn't been seen in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, commandant doesn't seem to be too worried. Uh, the doctor seems very worried because he's putting things uh, together here. And this is where Jean kind of uh, enters the uh, kind of the investigation here because she's made some calls and she's realized something, right? Yeah, well, she she realizes there's a lot of people missing, right, from the Chameleon Tour. Like she's placed all the different tour destinations and all the airports. And she says like the airports say the, the planes always arrive empty, mm-hmm. which is obviously very suspicious. Um, and so the commandant's like, well, maybe they've been taken to a private airfield and dropped off there. Uh, but the doctor's like, well, maybe they're not even on the earth anymore, which of course the commandant still not on board with aliens yet, which again, I wouldn't go there either. If yeah, I, was. Yeah, I wouldn't go there either. But um, the doctor asks Jean for help to try to get Nurse Pinto away, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so he can look around. The, the medical center feels very, like, very suspicious at this point. Exactly. And, and reasonably so from what he's seen. Uh, and so he, and he, he realizes that he needs the nurse gone to look around. So Jean says, so do you want to stick with... The doctor and Jean, or do you want to go to Jamie uh, and Samantha? Let's go to Jamie and Samantha real quick. This is also like a very fun scene. Um, it's also an example of Samantha basically taking charge. Because um, yep. Jamie makes it back to the uh, kiosk, and he realizes she's taking matters into her own hands, right? She buys like a ticket yeah, for the next she, flight. She bought a ticket, which she says it's too dangerous for a, a last or whatever, being super Scottish. Very noble, very yeah, <laughs> very very noble, very sweet. And uh, let's see if I can remember exactly how this goes. Hold on, yeah, um, he's basically trying to talk her out of it. And what's his what's his power play here? Like, what's his? How does he? How does he end up? He, uh, he distracts her with a kiss. Very sweet, and he, and he fucks he, the ticket from her. It's also kind of fucked up because he used it to take take her ticket away. Like maybe this is why they didn't work out. Dan decided not to say like, <laughs> <laughs> but it does feel like there's something between them there. Uh, for sure, for so, sure. Yeah. Which, so, which yeah. this would have, you know, I'm also wondering because they've never really been this explicit with actual companions thus far. That's where true. like, and so I, it makes me wonder if she would have, if she did stick around, if they would have even acknowledged this. <laughs> Maybe if, if if it ever would have come up again, I'm not so certain. They've never really had like a couple as a even like like you like Ben and Polly when they when they first like there was some chemistry there, and then as soon as they became companions, like they were just friends. Right. Even every so often, it did feel like they were hinting at a love triangle between Jamie, Ben, and Polly. Did you ever pick up on that? Not really, although it wouldn't surprise me. That's because well, I, that, that could just be in my head. That could just be in my own head. Uh, like in like the moon base, didn't like Jamie say something about that? Oh, sure. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
I mean, I think that's like a normal move, right? When you have like a yeah. they have three characters, two of them are they're all around the same age, or not even that really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, yeah, two men, one woman. Let's have a let's form a triangle. I mean, like Lost did that all the time, and like <laughs> never, every yeah, most shows, yeah, uh, yeah. But they they never really leaned into it or made anything about it. Even Ben and Paulie leaving, it was just they were just friends leaving. And so <laughs> I, I even if Samantha stuck around, I am skeptical that. Anything would have been made, anything worth came of that. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, yeah, you have to wonder if, like, we'll ever play like the dynamic of, like, a couple, two, two companions who, like, actively hate each other. <laughs> like, they're not friends. I will say that does eventually happen. Oh, fantastic. That's cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just leave it at that. But, yeah. Uh, Nurse Pinto is uh, basically ordered away from the uh, medical center so that the doctor takes a look around. This is where he finds the armbands, right? Well, and remember, yes, and she was ordered away because Jean was, like, faking an illness. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's, she's come to, like, go help her out with, like, whatever this medical emergency is. And there was a cool scene where, like, the doctor's, like, flicking buttons, and you see, like, a door open. You see Nurse Pinto, like, a real Nurse Pinto in the background. Yeah. And he puts it again, that, and it closes. That was cool. That was, like, a, I mean, this in a nice way, like a, like a high-end theme park kind of, like, special effect move of, like, whoa, did you see that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jenkins, oh, I should mention, like, the doctor does take off with the armbands. Like, Jenkins almost mm-hmm. comes, like, to kill him, but, like, he has, yeah. he basically has to, like, abort the mission because <laughs> a, a passenger comes in, right? Right. He, he gets a little, the doctor does get a bit lucky in the serial. This is definitely a situation where he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Nurse Pinto shows up and Jean's magically cured without having to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, all better now. Yep. So I think she takes off, obviously, right? And then the yep. doctor shows up and uh, basically shows off the armbands he has and um, was hoping to talk to Meadows about it, but he's off duty. The fake Meadows, that is. This is, this is another instance of the show padding a little bit. It yeah. doesn't... Um, they're kind of just waiting for the next the big reveal here at the end of episode four and then for our characters to kind of enter that space right um oh this is where yeah okay yeah samantha is waiting to get on her uh on her flight and she finds out she can't find her ticket and then she hears that like uh from Anne, this other character who i think is uh peter purvis's uh first wife uh, but an S Briggs is already checked in. I think she kind of realizes what just happened here. Um, uh, oh, yeah, this is where Spencer, because um, I think uh, Samantha, Spencer, again, everyone was being surveilled all the time here. So Spencer mm-hmm. watched all this on the monitor, realizes, like, oh, she, she's aware that she's kind of aware of something going on here. Samantha goes to, she has to investigate, right? And then Spencer's yep. waiting for her. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I think that's a, I think that's it for Samantha for this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, the plane takes off. Uh, Jamie, who I think is he faking, kind of getting uh, turbulent, like air turbulent sick here, or is... I don't think it's faking. I think he's legitimately feeling air sick because I mean it makes sense, right? Like, yeah. Again, here they're playing with the fact that he's from like 1700 Scotland, right? right. Uh, yeah, I mean people, we're all used to. Uh, air travel ourselves and like we still kind of get a little earthy when things bounce around so mm-hmm. yeah, makes sense and jamie had, was not prepared at all for what was going to happen to him here. so yeah <laughs> no so he runs to the bathroom not feeling too hot so he doesn't eat the food the plant food which of course is 
is important as far as the, the next episode goes. Yes, yes, indeed. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, yeah, Blade kind of figures out there is like a like an army fighter uh, trailing them. So I think mm-hmm. is this where this is where the plane disappears, right? Yes. Well, so the army basically the commandant and the police like, okay, we need to find where they still going. So they're tracking him on radar, and they they're following him with a fire pilot. This this was a cool sequence. I thought I thought this was yeah, a cool sequence. I agree. Um, um, and basically, they they shoot they shoot the fire pilot down in the mm-hmm. air, and so the the commandant sees uh, the fire pilot basically fall off the radar, and then suddenly, like the the Chameleon Airlines dot on the radar just freezes, just stops, mm-hmm. and then it, then it disappears. Right. And so, um, you know, obviously the, the commandant's worried because he's worried the, the fire pilot got, got crashed down. Uh, and yeah. he believes the Chameleon Airlines also probably crashed. And he's like, well, when it, what it means when the dock freezes, it means that it's going straight down. Um, and the dock's like, or straight up. Right. And the commandant kind of makes the ironic statement of like, how could that be? It would be in space by now. Right, mass so cut to <laughs> to the uh, the jets, the, the spaceship, I guess. Yeah, as a fire, as an airplane going into a gigantic, like pyramid-like spaceship. Right, which I, I did think was really cool. Um, that was cool. And again, I I can only imagine what it would look what it looked like on the actual episode. I do think this is probably a much better version of it. Like it probably well, something I will say is like I think I mentioned last week the special effects. Um, the special effects uh, company they're using they stopped using after this one. Mm-hmm. That's in part because like the uh, the props didn't work. Right. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. error kind of like was kind of stalled because of that, right? For a little bit. It, it would say yes because they had the 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 mocker props were too huge, um, and like the model shots uh, had to be redone, and so this is this was like the last straw for this Ealing Studios company. Um, you gotta figure too, because like don't they like convert to like just like the BBC shop department? Yes, that's kind of saved them some money too going in house. You would think, but I don't know for sure. Okay. Uh, we should mention, too, um, Anne, the uh, flight attendant, uh, isn't able to clear Jamie's uh, tray before she gets called over to the flight deck, so she doesn't notice that he hasn't eaten anything yet. So just just a little bit of um, uh, mm-hmm. background there. That brings us to episode five. I thought I'd miss one of you. I wondered what happened to you. Um, the plane is docked. Blade and Anne are out. And uh, yeah, it, Anne's not, not exactly sure if it was a good move to the, destroy like, the fighter. And uh, the Blade, the, I said the Blade. Blade doesn't seem too worried about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it should also mention last episode when like the people, it shows people kind of shrinking a little bit. Yes, that's that's uh, that's very important for what's about to happen here, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. Jamie, yeah, as a result of you know being on the plane, he's able to kind of go out into the uh, satellite itself, right? Right. 
and wait, is it on the is it on the plane that he finds these, or is it off the plane? Because she follow he follows Anne's play, he's putting trays away in like a galley, right? And in yeah. the galley, that's where he finds. I, so the galley, the galley might be on the actual plane itself. I yeah, guess. yeah. He no, no, no. He leaves the plane. Okay. And he's like following around. He's in the spaceship. Okay, cool. But yeah, inside this galley, he finds a whole bunch of like miniaturized humans. And I have to wonder how they would have done this on the actual um, episode. Probably looks- just little dolls, I would assume. Yeah, almost certainly. Uh, but this is this is kind of it for uh, Jamie for now. He does uh, get caught by two uh, chameleons and Anne. So uh, we'll have to see what happens to him here. Um, Back on the ground, uh, Commandant, the Doctor, and uh, Gene. The, yeah, they find out like the uh, the fighter pilot was uh, shot down. Like the plane was shot down. The pilot was electrocuted. So this is kind of feeding into the Doctor's theory and kind of giving him some credence there. Yeah. This is where we get a little bit of an info dump, uh, get, get, which is fine. Uh, we do get some clarification as to what's happening here. Um, the Doctor kind of... So Meadows shows up to work again, I should say. Yeah, Meadows shows up. Yeah, he's back on duty. And the doctor uh, tries to pump him for answers on these armbands. And he kind of posts his theory that um, these people that are being like replaced and controlled, they're being controlled by these armbands. And they want to be able to uh, basically um, test my theory. And he asks um, Meadows to roll up his sleeve, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and he responds by doing... Trying to run off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but luckily, they were ready for him. He gets yep. caught, and he has the armband himself. Yep. And this is basically where he like breaks down, like explains everything, right? Pretty much. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if you want to go through the the, the chameleon. Well, a lot of it. Yeah, basically, like he's kind know, of alluded to it. He's kind of alluded to it. The the they were dis, disfigured on the home planet, and they're kind of like they can take the shape of other people using these armbands. But if you disconnect the armbands, they'll die. Um, hmm. And they're not exactly sure what else to do, right? So this is why they're like, right. they, they pick the humans. Mm-hmm. They pick the humans. <laughs> he says he doesn't know who's been replaced or where the, he tells them not to search for the originals that they're hidden somewhere at the airport. And then he tells them that the, the nurse is the one who's in charge of the, the process. Like they're doing it at the medical facility. Mm-hmm. Which kind of leads us to the next sequence. Uh, the nurse, nurse Pinto kind of has uh, Vanta restrained, she's like gagged, and she has like, she's basically, she's like the next person up to become like an original, right? Like, she's like the next. Yeah. She's, next, she's the next one to be cloned, or I don't, I don't want to write. That cloned repl- replaced is kind of what I'd say. Yeah, um, I think replaced is a good one. Um, and they. Uh, yeah, worry not. I don't, uh, Samantha's not in danger for long. The doctor kind of barges in with the pen, right? Exactly. And, uh, and yeah, and so he, you know, they, they confiscate Pinto's pen and releases Samantha, and Meadows shows them where the real Pinto is. Right. Uh, which is fortuitous because the, the fake nurse Pinto, yeah, the fake nurse Pinto isn't constrained very long. She takes out an x ray gun, she kills the policeman, she goes in to kill Meadows and the doctor when. Uh, when he grabs the armband and the fake nurse Pinto just dissolves. <laughs> yeah, they kind of just turn into like goop. They look like Gak or something. Yes, they do. Nickelodeon days. 
So yeah, so we're kind of we're kind of getting towards the end game here a little bit. There's another episode and a half left to go, but we're getting some some ways in how we can, we have a path to like killing them. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, and Jamie. Oh yeah, yeah. Jamie's like restrained in the uh, stock room. Crossland comes in and releases him, and we're not. I think we can kind of surmise where Cross how, like what state Crossland's in, but um. Yeah. But it takes Jamie a little bit longer to figure it out. Yeah, and he gets some information out of him. This is where we kind of get the connection of, like, he wasn't miniaturized because he didn't eat the food. This is, this is why you, you wonder why stand-up comedians make jokes about airline food, everybody. This is why. <laughs> um, yeah, and he just kind of uh, just trying to get some information on, like, how, so how's everything going on Earth? Like, what's the status of everybody? And I think Jamie kind of starts realizing, like, why are you asking all these specific questions? And kind of gets reticent to answer, right? Mm-hmm. And Crossan reveals that he's the director of the whole situation, so he's the boss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a cool little move yeah. for Crossland. I mean, I know it's like not really Crossland, but he's got to be fun roles for actors to kind of get to do like two roles. Yes, I, I agree. And he reveals that they're almost done. Yeah. That, uh, one more plane, and then they'll be they'll be ready to pack up and go. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, back on Earth, back at Gatwick. Uh, the doctor finds like, these personnel files and realizes like they're all um, airline personnel that, that have disappeared, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the plan is... So, yeah, so the commandant wants to just arrest all of them once they get back, right? Right. Which the doctor's like, well, that takes away any strategic advantage we have. Uh, and this feels like a very doctor move, both one yeah. and two. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, they both would have done this. I agree. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, explain the doctor's plan here. Well, his plan is to basically put, put the armband on himself and say he's a chameleon, that he's who Meadows used to be. Right, he does establish, like, it is possible for people to, like, jump into, like, different bodies, like, over the course of time. Right. Once that's confirmed, he's like, okay, I've got my plan. Uh, which is really cool. Um, so, yeah, the, 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 com- the commandant, meanwhile, is going to try to figure out where the originals are. And, like, the status of how this mission goes, I think, is really key to uh, the doctor's kind of ploy here for uh, in the sixth and final episode. Uh, in my yes, opinion. I agree. This is a good, I think, move dramatically because it adds a lot of. Doctor's plan only works if they find the 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 people, and you know they're going to. Like as an outside observer, you know they're going to. But like, it does add to the tension of the situation in a good way. I think. Right, because it wouldn't it wouldn't wouldn't have surprised me in the sixth episode if like there really was communication to be just didn't get it it was like off screen or something so yeah right. i thought this yeah really elegantly written um mm-hmm. for the most part okay the doctor and and also he gets nurse pinto to go with him the real nurse pinto which is a brave move by this really minor character I it think. is yeah it's, it's it's quite heroic um and they, they take the time to point it out as well which i appreciate mm-hmm. and uh blade blade comes in and uh the, the plan begins in earnest here um mm-hmm. explain the story here and blade to his credit is a little not exactly sure but um a he doesn't give away any more information he needs to so like mm-hmm. they don't know where the bodies are and he b he does put them on he says okay next the final plane is leaving in 15 minutes i don't know if he says final but he does say the plane leaves in 15 minutes right yes um and gene reports i think the plane yeah, I, I think we cut to like the plane takes off. Yeah, yeah, we yep. jump. We jump to like twenty minutes later. <laughs> but the plane takes off. Gene reports they made it on the plane. They watch on the satellite. Disappears. 
right. there's still they still still no sign of the bodies. They don't know where they are. Um, so that's that's a big question mark up to this point. Yeah. And basically, I mean, not to believe to point too much here, but the season season five, the episode five cliffhanger is um, Nurse Pinto and the doctor get on the satellite and to basically get basically get caught. Like Blade yeah. Blade didn't Blade didn't touch they, so. And same with the director. Yeah, he like talks to the director about it. And something important I think is like Blade's like, well, let's just kill him. And the like, no, I want to talk to him. So it's kind of like them un underestimating the doctor a little bit here. Blade yeah, I had the right instinct. Yeah, I mean, you gotta figure they have mentioned before, like the doctor does clearly have like a mind. Like if mm -hmm. if I was able to like take his body, I like I might think about it. Like Yeah, yeah. True, true. Yeah. It turns out to be a bad mistake. They should have just killed him, but they don't know that. <laughs> okay. Episode six, final episode. You really want to go, don't you? Well, we won't leave, Doctor, if you really need us. The thing is, it, it is our world. Yes, I know. You're lucky. I never got back to mine. Yep, final episode. Well, something I should mention is Blade saved his, the Doctor saved his Blade's life inadvertently because they just killed the Doctor there. They would have just taken off all the armbands eventually for everyone, mm -hmm. and it would have it would have gone badly for him. And does he thank him? No. No. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, oh, episode six does end uh, start with uh, what we were just talking about. They do spare his life because they want the doctor's brain. Yep. And you know he's talking about this back and forth. The commandant uh, talking to Meadows, trying to figure out. Um, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. Where where the bodies are, Meadows is not helping. Yeah, so they kind of just like so they just like arrest, they just drag them off and arrest them, or like just yeah, them. pretty much, yeah, yeah. Um, so they, they do shut the airport down, which is a mm -hmm. good move, and they just they, they they the search is on. The search is on. They know they realize they, they need to find these bodies as soon as possible. Of course, hidden where they'll never be found is the uh, mm -hmm. the 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 line, which. I'm not sure. I think where they actually hid them lives up to that billing, but not quite. No, it's a little, it's a little disappointing. But I'll forget yeah. because it's it's otherwise firing on a lot of cylinders. Yeah. Um, yeah. This, this is what the doctor. And again, this is a this is a specifically second doctor move. I think um, he immediately kind of starts with the mind game here when he's brought before the director. He sees the new Jamie. He, to Fraser Hines' credit, um, is speaking in a without the Scottish accent, which I think is a subtly kind of difficult, that might have been a difficult thing. <laughs> yes, I think so. Um, and, you know, the, the director kind of says, like, I'm going to, I'm going to be in charge of who gets to take on the doctor's identity. And the doctor kind of starts laying in on, you know, cool, that potty, you know, you're going to be safe because your original is here on board. What about everyone else? And it's clear like, yep. the, like Blade and Spencer haven't really thought about this before. Right. Little, well, I think it's it's. I think it's probably not true that they never thought about it before, but it's an anxiety, and I think the doctor stating their deepest fears out loud made it more gave them more anxiety. You know, I think when your deepest, darkest like anxiety kind of gets verbalized by a neutral party, you can go, "Oh God, I told." Well, not I, even I, a neutral I, party. A party is trying to hurt you. Right. right. Like I had told myself that, uh, that I was probably overreacting, but now this other person like totally agrees. Um, 
Meadows escapes. So you, you got a lot of cutting back and forth here. So yeah, there, escapes, yeah, there is a lot. And um, uh, you know they're they're getting ready to transfer the doctor to mm -hmm. to the the director, and the doctor is just chatting away. He's like, all right, you better hurry up, get this over with. You're about to die. You know, we found <laughs> we found your your original the, the original people. On Earth, he's completely bluffing here. He doesn't know if they found him or not. Oh, yeah, he right? has no clue. This is again a classic second doctor move. Mm -hmm, classic. And so, uh, and Doctor like Blade, you're the first one we attack. Mm -hmm. And and Blade's like, okay, you know what? Let's. I'm gonna call Gatwick. See what's going on here. And you might say like, okay, why didn't they just do the transfer? Then they know the doctor's full of shit. But it does take some time. Yeah. And and the memory is fuzzy at first. So I. I I bought this as far as that goes. And of course, yeah. the Commandant plays along. I like this. They're like, where'd you find them? You got the bodies? Like, yeah, we do. Where'd you find them? I can't tell you. It's like, why <laughs> not? Which is a fair question. And the police officer um, had to, like, to tell them the police found it. They haven't told me yet. Right. Which is, yeah, I, I, I like, I, again, the Commandant is just like one of those like classic characters that are just like fun to root for because like when it comes into the clutch even though like they've been a little bit antagonistic throughout like when it matters like he he plays his role so perfectly he does he does and without and him of course, it would have fallen apart exactly it would have it would have um and of course samantha and gene get to be the ones who find the car they find a list of uh 25 car registration numbers which mm -hmm. end up being where all the bodies are hidden in the in the back seat of cars mm-hmm yeah. And uh, let's see. And so on the, you know, up in space, the blades sound like, okay, the doctor's bluffing. Like they don't have anything here. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I think, they, yeah, go for go it. On. No, no, you go on. Well, this is where like uh, all that time that they bought uh, pays off for the doctor. He's able to kind of like make the, uh, trans the transforming machine, for lack of a better term, like explode. Yeah. Uh, so now they have to go get have to go get a new one, which is kind of fun. <laughs> Imagining like a chameleon like filling out like a requisition form or something. <laughs> like ah, I gotta go two quotes and stuff. But uh, yeah, Blade just goes like, no more stalling. Like, like he he's, he's don't listen to, don't listen to the doctor anymore. Like this is clearly like part of his game. He does, he, they have nothing. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Um, as Gene and Samantha are searching the car park, Meadows comes in. Uh, starts attacking. Um, uh, they're able to they're able to hold their own, and uh, Meadows is subdued by the time the police arrive. And this Something I'll say is this was probably this was a bit awkwardly animated, and I think it's because they didn't want to animate it. It seemed a little unclear, right? Yeah, like it didn't like specifically show much, and it's kind of like off to the side a little bit. I, I think it was just sometimes scenes with more action are harder to animate. It seems. And I so, agree. Why I think sometimes like these last episodes where like a lot of the action kicks in, like the animation takes a dive a little bit. I agree. Uh, but yeah, they do. But find yeah, bodies. they find all the bodies. They find all the bodies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so Galway tries to contact them. They're like ignoring them, like they're just stalling. And then suddenly the the chameleon who's pretending to be Jenkins uh, mm -hmm. turns to move, turns to goose. So now Blade's like, all right. He basically points. He points his gun at the director and goes like, yeah. call, "Call Gatwick back." Like, <laughs> I'm not going down. I'm not. I'm not going to be the next one turned into goo. And uh, 
the director, I think, yeah, I, the director kind of uh, flipped out here a little bit, right? Like he wants like Jamie yeah. to like basically like, destroy the transmitter, like yeah, yeah. And Spencer, but, uh, but Spencer, so there's kind of like classism here going on, right? You kind of get a lower class and upper class to the chameleon, it seems mm -hmm. to me. And the doctor's kind of playing with those classes, and you know the working class uh, rising up against the, the ruling class here. Oh, that's kind of interesting. I don't, I don't think I really thought about that, but that I, I don't know if that's intentional. That's the way it kind of like read to me a little bit. Like the working class, they're the ones who are in danger, putting their lives on line, going to Earth, leaving their body doubles behind, which didn't make sense. I feel right. like they would have just put them in the plane, but okay. Yeah, that's fair. It, it works for the drama of the episode. Um, and then you have the upper class, which everything's safe, you know, protect me where they can, where they know where their body double is going to be. And mm -hmm. so you have the, the, the lower class going after death class here. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, it might be intentional. That feels, that, feels, that feels too worked out for it to be kind of accidental. I just didn't think about it. So yeah, that's awesome. Uh, this is where basically the Commandant and the Doctor start negotiating with uh, the director and Blade and Spencer here, right? Yeah. It's like, because, you know, the commandant's like, we found all the bodies. Like, it's over for you guys. And I think this, the doctor offers the uh, option of, we can guarantee your continued existence, but you can't use us to, like, figure out your problems anymore. Yeah, you got to release the humans. And the director says humans uh, can be returned to normal, but he's lying. Right, yeah. <laughs> so but, that's but, like, but, like, the reverse swap is on our home planet. And he's like, no, it's not. He's lying. <laughs> I love this. Yeah, it's like it's, it's their, their systems completely collapsed. Mm -hmm. uh, oh yeah, and the director tries to run off, and Blade kills yep. him. Yep, Blade kills him. Blade's the director now. You know what? Good for him. <laughs> yeah, this is kind. Of, yeah, this we're we're basically nearing towards the end here. And um, yeah, basically the doctor knows how to like take the armbands off safely, but he doesn't know how to reverse them, fix their state. But he's, he he kind of hints that he might. He might uh, try to show up on their home planet, see if he can help them out later on. That's good for him. Do you think he? Do you think in the universe of the show, like the Doctor ever followed up on this, or do you think it was just a way to smooth things over? Um, it seems sincere to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> Commandant is a—he's uh, dealing with a lot of uh, pissed off passengers, but um, mm -hmm. Doctor's like, "Can we have our police box now?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure. We'll we'll send up for it." And this is where, well, uh, it, this, well, we say goodbye to um, Commandant and Jean. Uh, we say goodbye to Samantha, unfortunately. So she burned bright, but um, you know, this is this is kind of it for her. Uh, they they lock lips one more time. They they enter in an embrace, as a lot of old school movie scripts might might say. Mm -hmm. And this is where we see Ben and Polly uh, briefly one more time. One and, last uh, time, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess we we kind of went through it, but I don't know if you want to just kind of give the yeah. Well, it just they realized it's the exact day they left, the July twentieth, nineteen sixty six. The exact day of the War Machine. So this is like one of the busiest days on Earth for the Doctor <laughs> Who. <laughs> That's like, true. Three three serials, right? The War Machine's this one, and Evil Daleks obviously starts off right where this one leaves off. Oh, so, the point. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. So so it's one of the busiest days. Uh, for Doctor Who, um, yeah, but they like you know what we want to stay here. Like it'll be like we never left. And the Doctor kind of mentions like you know he 
he misses his home world. Right, so kind of like still planting seeds of like this mysterious doctor who can't return home. Um, nothing really new there as far as that, that mystery goes, but nonetheless, kind of like bring it up again. They very rarely do it. And they say goodbye and, you know, uh, they hug the, the doctor. Yeah, I'll give the doctor this. This felt to me, it's our first kind of like second doctor reaction to a departure. Mm-hmm. He feels way more pragmatic about it than the first doctor ever did. The first doctor, Absolutely. the first doctor had his heart on his sleeve whenever someone took off, and here he's like, "Well, I understand where you're coming from. I totally mm-hmm. get it." Happy well, yeah. First doctor was pissed, and he would have like tried to talk to them into staying, and when they didn't stay, he would have like not wanted to say goodbye. Like, correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he would. They like said heart on his sleeve. It would not have gone this pleasantly. No, he would have been furious. Yeah. So yeah, that, that was a cool little characterization moment for the second one. And that's it. There's one more scene here. The doctor does. Uh, it's just the doctor and Jamie. And uh, <laughs> this doesn't quite read in the. Um, this felt like just like a line that they wrote. But um, the doctor's like, we have a we have a bigger problem because the, the the TARDIS was here and now it's not. We gotta go find it. Yep. And we get this really cool shot at the end of like him and uh, Jamie kind of walking off past the hangar that they thought was kind of artfully done like this is the new era for now agreed agreed well that's the faceless ones uh we ran long on this one but i think you know it's a big it's a big episode okay like a lot of stuff happened so um and next one's probably gonna run long long too uh with the seven, seven part evil the daleks we got the daleks yeah anything you want to set up for uh, the evil of the daleks well um you know, it's it's a seven episodes, so it's another Dalek epic. So far, the the Dalek stories we've liked them all, and so it'll be interesting. You know, will this next one will it keep that streak alive, or will will it be the first Dalek dud? Um, I'll yeah, say really, there haven't been any misses on the. I mean, there's the individual episodes that weren't that great, but overall, yeah, they've all been pretty stellar. Yeah, I'd say the Chase is probably the only one that we watched thus far that isn't a really well liked serial, but we liked it. So, yeah, um, I, I yeah I, I I stand the chase as the kids might. Say. <laughs> um, no way to make yourself sound older than. Uh... I know. <laughs> see it on the internet. <laughs> um, I'll say David Whitaker's writing it again. So David Whitaker's second go yeah. at the Daleks after the Power of the Daleks. So um, I'm I'm excited to to watch the serial with you. It's animated yeah. by the same production team. I think. Episode two, yeah, episode two still exists. Um, okay, right on. So we get we get one more um, real. We episode. get one, yes, one more real episode. But the, six out of seven episodes are missing and animated. Um, and then this is kind of it for the um, not it, but like we're kind of out of the dark times for uh, the missing episodes, right? Five and six are a lot smoother. Uh, well, okay, so um, season five. Let me let me let me get that information for you. Season six, definitely. Season six only has two incomplete serials. Okay. Not too bad. Not too bad. Season five. Let me, let me get season five up here for you. So season five, out of seven serials for season five. Well, that's not that many. Um, it's, it's two less than we're normal. So we got small episode count, but we got one, two. You have three complete serials out of the seven. Hey. But I'll say, I'll say like one of them has only two missing episodes and then like, you know, so that one's mostly there. And so it's, 
season five, we're not we're not out of it yet, but there's just it's just better than these past two seasons. Looking forward to it. Hopefully, you all out there are too. Uh, we're not quite done with uh, season four just yet. Um, we do have. Well, there's actually something I forgot to mention. With everything we've talked about, uh, there's one important thing I uh, forgot to mention. Theme song. Uh, it was with this serial, the faceless ones, that Inez Lloyd and Jerry Davis decided that they wanted to step away from the show. Oh no. Yep. Now something I'll say is we're not quite done with Inez Lloyd yet. He's He's gonna, it's going to be like a transition from him to the next guy. But next serial is going to be, we're going to be done with Jerry Davis as the script editor with, with our next serial. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess if we're changing out everyone in front of the camera, maybe we'll change everyone out behind the camera too. Why not? Yeah. And so um, we're not actually going to be done with Ennis Lloyd to like the middle of season five. And okay. so it's, it's quite okay. a transition. Okay. But Jerry Davis will be leaving, at least as the script editor, uh, after the next serial. Okay, I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah. Right on. Well, uh, hopefully all you out there will stick around with us to uh, experience that transition. Uh, if you like what you heard here, obviously there's many more to come. But we have Evil the Daleks, we have another movie coming up, and then of course, another round of Blinkies. Uh, if you like what you heard, and you're excited about those things, go ahead and give us a subscribe on your podcast of choice. Uh, we also have our whole archives of past classic Doctor Who coverage, seasons one, two, three, and the rest of four, uh, everything that came before, the faceless ones. Doctor Who isn't your bag. We have uh, another thread of episodes. We're going to the history of the superhero film genre. Uh, we're picking it back up with uh, the mid-90s after this uh, round of Doctor Who episodes are done. Uh, it's it's an interesting batch of movies, I will, I will, I will say this. Don't know, good would be a good word for it. <laughs> sure. I'm sure they have their fans. Yeah, uh, sure. And we also have our archives of those as well. Uh, we have our episodes on Batman 1989, Batman Returns. Uh, we go all the way back to Superman. We go all the way back to uh, the serials of the 30s, 40s, and 50s. So if those things are your bag, check those episodes out. I think you'll have a good time. Who else is talking about these things? No one. I mean, <laughs> Batman stuff, yeah, lots of people talk about those. But uh, serials about like the, the spider and stuff, no one does that. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Pop Culture Historians Podcast. We are on Twitter at PC Historians. And of course, there's our website, popculturehistoriansPodcast.wordpress.com. Life lesson. You know what? This one's easy. Fly American. <laughs> That's what you get for taking, in, uh, taking on an international brand. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Yeah. Read right. the Yelp reviews at least, right? Huh? What's that? Read the reviews at least, right? Make sure, yeah. you know. Yeah. I the mean, hotel's I, real. You know, call ahead. Call around. I mean, it's even easier now in the age of uh, the internet. But even then, yeah, call around. Call ahead. I like that. Uh, okay. That was the Faceless Ones. I was Ryan. That was Jimmy. We are the Hop Culture Historians. Check out next week for The Evil of the Daleks. <laughs>